Here we go. Here we go, one more time. Everybody's feeling fine. Here we go now. Here we go. Cheese and Josh has got the flow. Nail it, boy. All right. Super excited to be back here again. Uh, you know we do this every single day. You know who it is. We got Chase over here, Josh over here, coming to give you the goods. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> oh, they they did rumble in the end at the last episode, didn't oh, they? Yeah, that definitely. was a big ass fight. Oh, that was yes. dope. Awesome guys. Josh in the right corner. We got Chase backing down from the fight and jumping off the boat like <laughs> Reed. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, let's go with some malice in the chalice, man. Alice in the chalice, All baby. Right. Good stuff. Mm. Oh, awesome. Man. So here we go. <laughs> we always like to give you guys a big shout out every time we start this uh, podcast every Sunday. So, um, you know, we're big numbers, guys. And um, I think this is really important to state is that when we first started out, keep in mind that we've, we've only been doing this since January, right? And this is the January. uh yeah dude and so now we're in may so it's been four full months that we've been uh doing this podcast and we've had certain milestones that we were trying to hit and so what's really interesting is we had a number by the we, we i talked to chase I was like, listen i'll be happy if at the end of the game of thrones arc we hit this number and we literally, we still have the rest of this season seven to go, all of season eight and our summary episode, and we've doubled the number that we had for yeah. our milestone. So we're super, super excited about that. Something to celebrate. At the end of the day, though, it's no celebration without you guys, because without you, we wouldn't be here in this position. Yeah, man, it really means a lot to you guys. Uh, we appreciate all the followers on, you know, on Instagram. We got a Twitter now, which is pretty cool. Yep. Uh, uh, we're still working on the LinkedIn. That's going to be coming soon. We told you about that last week. Uh, we're on, on the, all the major platforms. You said what? Uh, Pandora's got a couple weeks in the works here. We got a couple weeks in the works. Yep. But you know, don't forget. You know, we on the big one. Apple Podcasts. We got yeah, iHeartRadio. iHeartRadio is getting yeah, a absolutely. little bit of a pull now, which is pretty cool. And yeah. Um, but yeah, it, wherever you get your podcast, guys, we're going to be there, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but I was really excited the fact that we, we've kind of jumped into the two biggest ones that we didn't have. We've got a TikTok account uh, at Ridiculous TikTok, Yeah, man. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to start putting some fun content TikTok out there. TikTok on the clock. Yeah. DJ Blow my speakers up tonight. <laughs> Dude, I'm excited uh, about what kind of, this thing is like, we're both new to this app, so we're going to try to figure out some fun ways to integrate what we're doing. It was dirty on, uh, pictures. Well, I'm glad that it's not. So. <laughs> Chase is aging himself right now, guys. So for all younger viewers, I uh, apologize in advance. But <laughs> yeah. at the end of the day, thank you so much for your support and your following. Uh, we've been getting a lot of um, what I call trickle-down followers from people who have heard us, and they've uh, actually referred some friends to our podcast, and we've been getting reviews from that as well. So... We're very, very super excited. We couldn't be here without you. So without further ado, man, let's uh, let's give him a quick little recap of our last week's episode. Take and, a dive uh, right into dive it. Dive right in. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, man. They're going to take a dive here pretty soon. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. The Lannister army doesn't know what's coming for them. Yeah. Guess who <laughs> dove right on off oh, that shit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Awesome guys. Makes me miss my boy Ramsey. Oh, man. I'm so glad he's gone. He was so cringy. He was the man. Though. But dude, he was I honestly he was he super was not smart, as good. super psychotic, but at the end of the day, 
I was so happy to be rid of him. Dude, I'm kind of a lot like you. My favorite people died. Uh, yeah. Murdered her, raped her, killed her children, yeah. and then fed to the hounds. Very yeah, your sad. two favorites died. That's true in this one. Yeah. For sure, man. I mean, our queen's still there. So that's yeah. always good. For now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well yeah, man. It's not good. Yeah. So, yeah, man. So, guys, last week, as you probably remember, but just in case you didn't tune in and you listened to us for the very first time, last week uh, we left off with a big old battle on the ship where Euron Greyjoy, he actually fought uh, Yara, Nymeria, and Obara all within minutes of each other, and he killed Obara and Nymeria, the two sand snakes, and he took uh, um, Yara prisoner. And uh, before we get to the part of what happens with, with Theon, I also want to mention uh, other things that were really important that happened. Um, Jon Snow receives a letter from Sam Tarly about Dragonstone being full of dragonglass, so he now realizes he must go down to Dragonstone and meet with the Dragon Queen, our girl Daenerys. Um, also, Arya reunites with Hot Pie for the first time, and she he, she was ready to go kill Cersei, but when he let her know that Jon Snow actually won the Battle of Bastards and he's now... Uh, the king in the north she changes her king mind. of the north she rides with north to winterfell and then so the last thing that one of the last things that we see uh i'll let you talk about theon right now because you love you love this so <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you really see at this point you know theon's still what ramsey is so sadistic what he broke did, him even though he's ramsey's out of the picture at this point yeah. it's still affecting theon and he takes a Fucking free willy off that ship, man. <laughs> he sure did. Does a damn nosedive. Leave sure Yara. Yeah. Later, Yara. Yeah. Have a good life. After how many times she's tried to help him, he just pieces right Literally off. Literally like the an ship. ex-girlfriend. Have a good life. Yep. Hundred <laughs> like, percent. Peace. Uh, peace on out of there. I felt like Euron was that kid that logs on to Call of Duty that's been playing every second of his fucking life and literally has like a 60 street kill and then is still unloading is like, I gotta get an achievement. <laughs> like, don't get in this motherfucker's way. Dude, he was straight mowing people down and fought some of the hardest and toughest people in Westeros and the Sand Snakes and in Yara. Um, who was his biggest threat to the Iron Throne. Those people so, were your grass. Like, which they were is your kinda, grass. Which is kind of <laughs> cool, too, because if you think about that, that's some symmetry right there. Like, Yara was meant to, well, not meant to. She was uh, one of the ones that you thought was going to take control of the Iron Islands, and she just went head-to-head head with the guy who has control of the Iron, Island, Iron Islands now, and he showed her exactly why he has control of the Iron Islands. And then the last scene that we see and this first part that we talked about last week is the ship and the mast. And you see uh, Nymeria over the mast with her uh, own whip wrapped around her neck. She's hanging from her own whip at the front of the boat. And then you see Obara almost like straddled on with her own spear, jabbed through her torso, stuck right into the mast as well. So, And even worse, Danny's plan is completely ruined. Yeah, now Dorne can no longer attack King's Landing from the south. So... Let's, uh, without further ado, let's... Uh, Weak men will never rule Dorne again. Shit, no one's going to rule Dorne again. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, <laughs> so let's let's jump right on into uh, where we're at now. And, uh, brother, I don't know what you have in your notes there, but I'll tell you what I... The first thing I saw here was Jon Snow and Sir Davos arriving at Dragonstone. And one thing I always like to mention is because... Just because you see the small boat, like, row up to the, like, Dragonstone there, that's not the boat that they took from White Harbor down to, to Dragonstone. That you see in the background, there is a large ship. 
Uh, and that's like almost like Titanic, how we, they had that really big like cruise ship, and then there was like small like rescue boats that will take you to the land. That's exactly what was kind of going on there. So they arrive at Dragonstone. Imagine this, guys. Imagine, you know, how they're like, women and children first on that Titanic ship. Basically, what it looked like was John and Sir Davos hopped on that little ship, and then they fucking canoed their ass. Canoed your ass! <laughs> All the All way, way from, from Winterfell. From White Harbor. White Harbor, <laughs> yeah. So that's not what happened. If you guys, if you look real closely at that scene, I know it's confusing, but there is a big ship in the back where that, that uh, took off from. So, But yeah, and then now going into it a little bit... Um, the, sir, uh, I'm sorry, Tyrion and Jon Snow... Uh, th- this is the first time their kind of story comes full circle with each other because the last time they saw each other, or when the first time I should say they saw each other, Tyrion kind of gives John a little dig at being a bastard, and John just prideful kind of goes back at him for being a dwarf. But Tyrion's lesson that's kind of stuck with him this whole time is like, you know, like accept who you are. You know, that way the people can't use it against you being a bastard. And he's like, what, did you, what would you know about being a bastard? And, and Tyrion said, you know, all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. So it's cool that you kind of see that there because that kind of comes like to a full symmetry here because they give each other a little dig uh, where they um, kind of take a jest at each other real quick here out in season seven. And one thing I did wrote down as a quote, uh, they start talking about Sansa and Tyrion, of course, being the jokester that he is. Uh, you know, talks about, you know, how is, how is my beloved wife? And talks about, just joking around, talks about how the marriage was like unconsummated and a sham marriage just to put Jon Snow's mind at ease. But uh, he, he tells Jon Snow, uh, uh, Sansa, she's smarter than she lets on. And Jon Snow replies, oh, she's starting to let on. <laughs> so, I thought that Great. was pretty cool there, man. Yeah, what, what, do, you, what do you got? Uh, I mean, one thing I was thinking about earlier was just, I mean, the first time John and Sir Davos really see these dragons in person, they... Oh, right afterward, yeah, you're right. You're talking about literally the King of the North here. He's seen the Battle of the Bastards. He's seen the Battle of Big Castle Black. Big Northmen. Sir Davos He's literally been at the Battle of died and came back to life. <laughs> literally. <laughs> and they're on the ground, man. They're on they hear, the ground. They see the dragon swoop down, and they hit the deck real quick. And it's funny because, like, you see the imagery is that... Jon Snow and Sir Davos, like two men, Sir Davos has lived to a ripe old age smuggling and he's seen all sorts of horror. Jon Snow literally has died and been resurrected. Like, they are on the ground and Missande, a former slave, is just sitting there all calm and chill, like standing up. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was super funny. Man. Oh, so great. Tyrion gets one of my favorite quotes. He says, I would say you get used to them, but you never really do. Which is it's kind of funny because think about that in like the real world life. Like, if there was t a t rex, you saw a t rex just like run past you. You think you're ever gonna get used to that? Like, let's say you know that Jurassic we, Park, Jurassic Park stuff. We travel to some island, and all of a sudden we see uh, a creature that's been like extinct for thousands or millions or however many years just run across. Like, and the Godzilla, people, it's Godzilla, and the people are just like over there, just totally cool with it because they're used to. It. Like, how do you get used to the fact that there is a prehistoric creature that shouldn't be alive and around just just strolling like it's meant to be there chilling you just see barney shit. like a live barney walking on the sidewalk the purple dinosaur you're <laughs> <laughs> just sitting there you're like mm. i'll uh, tell you what they're gonna need a cleanup song after he's done what, with it <laughs> clean up clean up Everybody, everywhere, clean their bodies up, bitch, yeah. because everyone's He's gonna tear dead. their ass up. Absolutely, gonna, we're burning it all. 
to break your back down. Burn it down. <laughs> Great. So while that's happening there, they there's one person that is on Dragonstone that doesn't come down to um, join in the festivities or the meet and greet with uh, Sir Davos and Jon Snow, which is interesting because Melisandre, she's the one that basically urged Danny to uh, write a letter to Jon Snow and ask him to come down to Dragonstone. So the reason why this is super important we know why Melisandre had left on bad terms with Jon Snow and Sir Davos after Davos found out that she burned Shireen alive. And so she doesn't want to be seen down there because she knows it's only going to cause conflict. And so Lord Varys tells her, like, super, like, slyly, oh, like, I don't think you should ever return to Westeros again. And Melisandre, she looks at him, and this is the quote, Oh, I will return, dear spider, one last time. I have to die in the strange country just like you which is huge foreshadow of what's to come and i love the foreshadow and even this as far as foreshadowing she says right before then i have done my part i brought ice and fire together yeah that's a dope quote absolutely and one other thing too about melisandre that i wrote down i thought that was nice she admits to the mistakes that she's made. She's clearly grown from the person that she used to be, that like gung-ho priestess that she knew all the answers to everything, and there was no doubt what she had in her mind was the right way. Uh, ever since that, you know, she was wrong about Stannis and realized all the people she killed was probably in vain, she realized that, like how wrong she was, and she's developing that growth and. You know that we showed that last time when she said she couldn't. She couldn't even definitively say that Daenerys was a prophecy. She said, you know, tri- prophecies are tricky. So I just, I, you can even see even here too that uh, she talks about the mistakes, and, and now you kind of see growth, and she's not the same person that she was before. But um, talk a little bit about the uh, the introduction to John and Daenerys together. <laughs> yeah. Uh- I don't want to say because she is my queen, and I always bend the knee. But she kind of is a bitch <laughs> at this point. She right. really stands her ground. Well, think about to this too. Like, like when Melisandre, like when not, I'm sorry, not Melisandre, Missandei, when she introduced it. Like, what, what do you have? Missandei. Yeah, yeah, go ahead, do your thing. And yeah, just picture, you know, Natalia Emanuel. I was kind of picturing in my mind because I read the book so much, like Josh, like a 12 year old. Could you imagine a 12 year old saying this? Now, don't get me wrong, this didn't happen in the books, but. It's a pretty powerful moment because it shows Danny is trying to express all her power. Right. And, at this and point. before you go into the quote, guys, remember, we are fully out of the books. There's nothing, there's no more books that are written. We are fully on Benninghoff and Weiss's mm-hmm. writing right now. So I guess technically it could happen at some point. But no, this is all the TV show. But Masunday, standing in front of Danny, looks at John, the king of the north, by the way, with Sir Davos in front of him. You stand in the presence of Daenerys Stormborn of House of Targaryen, rightful heir to the Iron Throne, rightful queen of the Andals and the First Men, protector of the Seven Kingdoms and the Mother of Dragons, the Khaleesi of the Great Grass and Sea, the Unburnt and Breaker of Chains. Sir Davos, there's a pause for a minute, stands there and goes, This is Jon Snow. King of the North. <laughs> He's King of the North. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> There's that's no it. big titles. So it was funny that she was kind of throwing her weight around there. Now, one thing that I did did write down is that Danny kind of insults John because he calls she calls him my lord. And uh, so Sir Davos corrects her. She goes like, I, he's like, I'm not a learned man. And obviously I've got a flea bottom accent. 
but uh, it, it's customary to say your grace. And Daenerys goes into a quick history of when Torin Stark was the last king in the north and he bent the knee to Aegon to save his people. So I, I, I wrote that down there as well. I thought that was pretty big and huge. But um, yeah, man, after that, uh, Danny tells John, I assume you're here to bend the knee. <laughs> and Jon Snow tells her, I am not. <laughs> I thought that was super, super cool. And then I love this part because yeah. she even goes even farther to try to exert her power. And you kind of have this conflict. It's almost like a Goblet of Fire moment where you have Harry and Ron that kept arguing back and forth. They wouldn't agree on one thing. And they're both they're there for two different things. Different thing, though, because Harry and Ron were best friends. These are people meeting each other for the first time. Right. You know, so it, it, the thing is, like, the problem is we all see the benefit of their mutual, like, relationship and they don't right. like they're 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 like basically in a pissing contest right now and keep in mind they're both there for two different things john is there to make sure the whites and the night king don't kill everybody yeah right <laughs> whereas danny's only focused on the throne so she wanted john there as an ally that's not why john is there at all right and danny says i wonder if your father knew his best friend sent assassins to murder a baby girl in her crib not that it matters now, of course. I spent my life in foreign lands. So many men have tried to kill me. I don't remember all their names. I've been sold like a blood mare. Broodmare. Broodmare. It's the horse, guys. Yeah. Uh, oh, read my writing. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Broodmare. I've been chained and betrayed, raped and defiled. Do you know what kept me standing through all these years in exile? Faith. Not in any gods, not in any myths and legends, in myself and Daenerys Targaryen. And it goes to show she's trying to exert her power. And I also love this part because anyone that really hasn't watched Game of Thrones, like, I love my brother to death. My brother is great. Shout out Blake Brown. He always, uh, him and my uh, sister-in-law, Reagan, before they really saw the show, they kept going, Oh, Khaleesi. You mean Khaleesi? And I read the book, so I was like, Daenerys Targaryen? They're like, you obviously don't know what you're talking about because Daenerys Targaryen is, like, I've never heard of that name. This goes to show, even she goes to refer to Daenerys Targaryen, but she's really putting her force on Jon, who literally has been brought back from the dead and come back to life. Um, It said... She even said, the world hadn't seen a dragon in centuries until my children were born. The Dothraki hadn't crossed the sea, any sea. They did for me. I was born to rule the seven kingdoms, and I will. Foreshadowing at his finest. John said, well, you'll be ruling over a graveyard if we don't defeat the Night King. Right. And so, to my like now that actually is a perfect segue into the next notations that I have down. John tells Danny and Tyrion about the Army of the Dead and the Night King, and they don't take him serious. So they argue and trade facts about loyalties, and John doesn't back down, but neither does Danny. And as they're kind of going back and forth with each other, uh, Lord Varys he interrupts and tells Danny in her ear, "Please dismiss, please dismiss your guests. I have grave news." And so Danny, obviously, like with her decorum, says, "I, I, you know." I must have forgot my manners. You've traveled a long way. Uh, please go get some rest. And so Jon Snow asks her, am I your prisoner? And she says, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. And uh, I do love the part where she says, 
She even says a quote here, which I'm going to tell you in a minute, uh, because I want to tell you something really cool. Uh, this kind of goes the back and forth. Sir Davos goes, he tries to stick up for John, which really shows his loyalty. And he says, you don't believe him. I understand it sounds like nonsense, talking about the whites. But if destiny has brought Daenerys Targaryen back to our shores, it had also made Jon Snow king of the north. You were the first to bring the Dothraki to Westeros. He was the first to make allies of wildlings and northmen. He was the named Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. He was named King of the North because he was not of his birthright. He has no birthright. He is a damn bastard. All these hard sons of bitches chose them as their leader because they believed in him. All those things you don't believe in, he faced these things. He fought those things for the good of the people. He risked his life for his people. He took a knife in the heart for his people. And then John he goes, stops he goes, yeah. him. He goes, well, not quite, yeah. He, says, he took a knife in the heart for his people. He di and then he cut him. Because he's about to say yeah. he died for his people. And that's, that's the part where he cut him. And it yeah. just ends with Sir Davos saying, If we don't put aside our enemies and band together... We will die. And then it doesn't matter whose skeleton sits on the Iron Throne. And then going back to what you said, as far as Danny said, she said, that's fair. It's also fair to point out that I am the rightful heir, Queen of the Seven Kingdoms, by declaring yourself King in the Northmost Kingdom. You are in open rebellion. Yep. Absolutely. And so from there, like we were talking about, Lord Varys comes in and basically tells Daenerys, hey, you guys, hey, get these guys out of here. I got to tell you something. Like, like really, I got really bad news. So Daenerys demisses John, and of course, John asks if he's a prisoner. She says, not yet. But then Varys breaks the news that uh, Euron Greyjoy's fleet attacked Yara's en route from Dorne, and that all but two or three ships were sunk or destroyed, and that Ilaria and the, snans the Sand Snakes were either dead or captured and that Yara and Theon were either dead or captured. So think about this. They had an, in their minds a great plan which on paper sounded good to us too. But now the biggest the first part of their plan is gone. Remember if you guys remember from our last episode last week, they wanted to number one get like a Westerosi army to attack King's Landing to kind of convince the houses that were um, in between loyalties like they didn't know like where to go to go with Daenerys because it'd be a lot harder if, if she just solely attacked with foreign invaders like the Dothraki and the Unsullied. So now, Euron Greyjoy destroyed their entire fleet on that side of things uh, when bringing back... Um, she, they want, like Yara wanted to bring back uh, the Dornish army. Euron made sure that didn't happen. So now she's... One part of her plan is broken and we're going to start to see a chain reaction from there. Um, so yeah, so the Theon is actually brought ashore by the remaining surviving Ironborn that are faithful to Yara. And they kind of, they have such huge disdain for Theon for not trying to save her. They, they literally told him, if you tried to save her, you wouldn't be here. They look down on him. They basically spit on him, not w without actually doing it. Well, he, one guy does later on. But uh, <laughs> uh, they, they basically look down and spit on him because they, they tell him that you're a coward. Like You saw your sister get taken and you did nothing. You jumped overboard. Like, if you tried to save her, you wouldn't be here. You would either be dead or you would have brought your sister back to us. But the fact that you're here means you pussied out. Yeah, so that's exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. Then and where have, we're at now... Euron arriving in King's Landing? That's what I was about to talk yep. about, yeah. T take it. So Euron definitely arrives 
<laughs> Definitely. He does. <laughs> he arrives in King's Landing, and you kind of get this kind of... It's funny, we were talking about conflicts between John and Danny because you get this conflict between Danny... Uh, Jamie. <laughs> conflict between Jamie and Euron. Yeah, before we get into their conflict, let's talk about the fact that he's, like, parading down the streets like he owns King's Landing. Like, he's, he's like, waving his arms and, like, bowing to all the people cheering him on for having Yara in chains and Ilaria and Tyene in chains. Oh, and they're dragging being them along on, like, like a leash, On man. a leash. On and like, chains. And he's just eating up the applause and, and the admiration from the people. Then they're throwing stuff. They're throwing lettuce and, like, spitting on, like, the prisoners, Yara, Ilaria, and Tyene. It's just interesting to me that this guy is just, he's having the time of his life. He brought them back, and he's just eating up all the admiration from the people of King's Land, and fuck that, man. And remember, we were talking about a gift, and he says, when he gets to the center of the hall, and they're all, like, dead silent, and you have Olaria that's there in chains, completely disgusted, looking at Cersei, remembering Oberon's death. He dropped them right in front of her. He grabbed their chains. Right in front of her. Dropped them right in front of Cersei. Boom. Here's your gift, bitch. And you got Yara, (laughs) Olaria, and I always say... Tyene. Tyene. It's Tyene. But he didn't give Yara to them. He kept Yara for himself. That's right. Yeah. I got your sister. We'll talk about that later. But he says, I present to you a gift. A gift for your murdered daughter. There is only one reward I want. Yeah. And what does she say? What does Cersei do? She accepts. Well, she she sort of accepts. She did. She accepts his proposal and says, you will have what your heart desires once the war is over. That's what I was saying. So, and then at this point in time, now talking about the conflict between Euron and and, and Jaime, yo, talk about this guy's got some set of balls on him. I don't know. If I actually have start. direct quotes I, on all I, that too. I have one direct quote. You might have the ones before, but the one I wrote down, bro. Yaron taunts Jamie. He says, she's, "He's like, I, oh, we have uh, some things to discuss, brother to brother." And and <laughs> Jamie like looks at him like and like kind of like what? And, and Yaron goes, "Does she like it gentle or rough? A finger in the bum? Shh, shh, shh. Now, nah, now nah, we'll talk later." That was perfect. Yo. <laughs> and this is how Jamie responds. Jamie goes. <clears throat> if you turn on us, I'll cheer to see your head mounted on a spike. Mm-hmm. Like this is how intense this moment is between the two, Dude, and everyone's cheering, other. and yeah. they fucking. Can't Which is funny because that conflict other. comes to a head later on in the season. Well, well, not well, not this season, but next season that we won't talk about. But and then we're about to break into a really intense scene where we're about to go into the dungeon. Yes. Yep. And. Absolutely. Alaria, another full circle moment full circle and this scene is almost crushing to the audience because you can see Alaria completely chained up against the wall completely and then say your name <laughs> Tyen. say my name <laughs> Tyen. Tyen is on the other side <clears throat> completely chained to the wall and they're pulling towards each other trying to get to each other and they both have the mouth gags yes. over their mouth as Cersei walks in between, and she says this amazing, sick-ass monologue. Take it. I didn't even write it down. That's all you. Looking at Alaria the entire time, most of the time, I was there the day Sir Gregor crushed your lover's head. If I chose my eyes, I can hear the sound of Oberon's skull breaking. The sound of your scream. I never heard a sound like that. I thought, 
that's true love. Oberon looked beautiful that day. He really did. No one moved like him. No one had such skill with a spear. Even Sir Gregor couldn't stop him. If only he hadn't taunted him. He could have walked away and left poor Sir Gregor to die. But that wasn't your lover's way, was it? Now he's buried somewhere. And Sir Gregor is stronger than ever. That must be difficult for you. You chose to murder my daughter. You must have felt powerful. Now that you made that choice, do you feel powerful now? Marcella was mine and you took her from me. Why? Why did you do that? Doesn't matter now. Your daughter is a beauty. Beauty. Brown eyes, those lips. Perfect. Dornish beauty. I imagine she's your favorite. I know we're not supposed to choose and we have favorites, but still, we're only human. We love whom we love. I'm sorry, I can't under understand you. The gag Cause makes it Because at that point, yeah, Ilaria was trying to talk and, and she's like, she screaming. Yeah, yeah, completely screaming. Yeah. Like, cause Com completely. That's a shot, guys. <laughs> That's a shot. What you're saying, it must be frustrating. We all make our choices. You chose to murder my daughter? That's a shot. <laughs> you must have felt powerful after you made that choice. Do you feel powerful now? I don't sleep very well. Not at all, really. I lie in bed and I stare at the canopy and imagine ways of killing my enemies. How to destroy Alaria Sane, the woman that murdered my only daughter. I thought about having Sir Gregor crush your skull the way he did Oberon's. It would be poetic, I suppose, fast, but too fast. I thought about having him crush your daughter's skull. As she's screaming, by the way, pulling towards Ilaria, tears coming out her eyes. She's so beautiful. The thought of this lovely face cracking open like a duck egg. No, it's just not right. Kisses Namiria as she's crying right on the mouth. Mama! Mama! The chains are breaking at literally pulling tight at this point. Cersei wipes her lips. Kyburn. Who? He's the cleverest man I know. Kyburn. Kyburn. <laughs> Kyburn, dragon! <laughs> Kyburn, he's the cleverest man I know. Clever enough to learn what poison you used to murder Marcella. The long goodbye was was that it? The long farewell, your grass. The long farewell. That's that's the one. How long does the poison uh, take? Difficult to say. Hours, days, depends. You On the see? constitution of the subject. But death is certain. Quite certain, yes. Your daughter will die in the cell, and you will be here watching when she does. You'll be here the rest of your days. If you refuse to eat, we'll force food down your throat. You will live and watch your daughter rot to watch that beautiful face collapse to bone and dust, all while contemplating the choices you made to make sure the guards make sure the guards change the torches every few hours. I don't want her to miss a thing. Yo, how psychotic is that? 
badass. Dude, that's straight like Cersei at her most hateful, bro. Like that's nuts. Imagine and then as Alaria is screaming at this point, like you're gonna watch your daughter completely rot and decay and die in front of you. That's nuts. You know, so I, I didn't even write all that down to be honest. All I put was Cersei kisses Tyane with a long farewell, the same way Alaria kissed um, Marcella, and makes Alaria watch as Tyane dies and then decomposes. And that's so, why Josh gets five pages of notes where I have a notebook. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, which is pretty cool. Now we see this part here. Jamie and Cersei are waking up from doing some dirty, right? And Cersei no longer fears being seen with Jamie. That was her whole thing in the very, very beginning. Get my fuck on! Is that they uh, were afraid of being caught for what they were. But now guess what? Cersei is the queen, well, quote unquote, the queen of the Seven Kingdoms, right? Everything's open and rebelling and the war is still going on. But she doesn't give a shit no more. Like the maid comes in and she even tells him, we're going to need fresh sheets, motherfucker. (laughs) Yeah, we're about to get our, we're about to fuck. Well, they already did. (laughs) It's funny though, but the reason that the maid came in was to tell her that the leader, the head of the Iron Bank of Bravos was there to see her, which is his name is Tychos, right? So Cersei tells Tychos that if he stays for a fortnight as her honored guest, her debt to the Iron Bank will be paid in full. And they have a considerable debt. They've been in debt not only from Robert Baratheon, but the Lannister mines have run dry. So they've been borrowing money from the Iron Bank as well. So that we don't have a numeric value to how much they owed, but understand that it was probably in the multi-millions of dollars. Like They owed so much to the Iron Bank over this time. So after that, Tyrion and Jon Snow back at at Dragonstone, they're going back and forth about like the existence of the Night King and the Army of the Dead. And one quote by Tyrion really caught me, and I thought it was really beautiful. He says, "I trust the eyes of an honest man more than I trust what everyone knows." So basically, he tells me he's like, "I know G.R. Mormont, and I know you, and I trust an honest man." more than I trust what everyone knows. Because he said, everyone knows it's just a fairy tale. Everyone knows these these don't exist. But the fact of the matter is, remember the very beginning, he called them grumpkins and snarkles and all those weird, funny words. And now Tyrion's not so sure. And Jon Snow has finally found a way to win over a possible skeptical mind with someone who has a position of power with Daenerys as the hand of the queen. And keep in mind at this point, Danny keeps kind of questioning this knife thing which which is good because it makes you realize you know she is even though she it's almost like believing in a legend like you don't want to believe in that but she still has an open mind at this point and she says what was that sir davo says taking a nice and knife in the heart for his people like she's wondering at this point like what he was talking about earlier like what really got him to be the king of the north? Well, and she said that to Tyrion, right? To Tyrion. So before before Tyrion. that, one thing I need to mention as well, because I think this is very important. Tyrion makes Jon Snow, Jon Snow see what he's asking is unreasonable. So they go another route, and he asks to mine the dragon glass. That's the whole point that, even, that Tyrion and Danny are even having this conversation you're just mentioning now. Because think about it. It really is unreasonable. You're going to someone who's never met you, asking for use of their army as well as using the the resources on your island to help fight a war against people you don't even know are true like no one know like obviously he's seen them but no one else has so Tyrion's like listen like 
what you're asking really isn't reasonable. And I understand, like, listen, if I were you, I'd be trying the same thing, but we got to take baby steps. Like, you won't bend the knee for her. You think she's going to give you full access to, like, everything and just believe you right off the bat? Like, let's start with small steps. And I thought that was, you know, that's what I wanted to put in before you you hit that. Yeah, Yeah, no. And then um, one part is they're kind of looking over the island, and this is where you definitely know the names of the dragons because, she, you know, she's talking to John. And she says, I named them for my brothers, Viserys and Rhaegal. They're both gone now. And so now you know why, you know, the other two dragons that you don't see quite as much as Drogon because he is kind of like the golden boy of these three dragons. Which, yeah, I also agree with that. Like, the, the fact of the matter is, like, <laughs> Viserion and Rhaegal kind of got the, <laughs> the, the shit end of the stick because really she never did. rode them once at all. <laughs> Didn't care. Like <laughs> they were the smaller dragons. Like she, like they were, they almost the way Cersei was saying you have a favorite child. Like she had a favorite dragon, and she can you can't yeah. convince me otherwise. And she didn't, put didn't their she? Ass in captivity. Yeah, she did <laughs> underneath yeah. the pyramids, pyramids of a marine. And then didn't she also tell John like try to like build some commonality with him? Like you know my brothers are gone, some of your brothers are gone. Like you know he tried to build some commonality there. So yeah, I, I mean cool. it's just. Yeah, you brought up a really good point, though. Like, Viserion and Rhaegal really do kind of get the short end of the stick on this thing. Dude. Especially Viserion. They all hatch at the same time, and, like, she just, like, not... Even worse, think of that. Like, Viserion got named after brother. Viserion, That was a dick that got the gold crown pulled on his ass. Yeah, Which, that's a good question, because I thought of this the other day. Ask me. Isn't really, like, a huge debate, but... Snail it. So Targaryens can resist fire, like Danny's done. Dragons can resist fire. Well, Danny walked into the fire. Right. No, no. When I say dragons, like remember how he called himself the last dragon. The last. And dragon, then he. Right. And then when and she got burned, by, like yeah. that's her exact quote. When he got molten and burnt by the crown, she's like, he wasn't a true dragon. So like she, like she's the last dragon. So here's the question: Is what if he wasn't even Viserion Targaryen? Like what if? Viserys? Viserys. Like, how do we even know that's really him or he was related to the Targaryen line? Well, because they, they took them both at childbirth and ferried them both across the seas and Viserys was supposed to be like like the next thing, like like um Illyrio Mopantis. Yeah. Like, like so here's the thing, is like just because you're a Targaryen, and this is something that I don't think people realize, just because you're a Targaryen doesn't mean that you are that you have the ability to it's almost like the the Valyria thing that we were arguing about earlier before we did this episode right it's that you know you can be a targaryen and not have the ability of controlling or being a part of any sort of stuff with the dragons which you is can, a like, big yeah. point to bring yeah, up yeah absolutely you know? he was a targaryen but he wasn't a dragon then again i want to say like they pulled poured metal on his head like that's hard i think that's harder than standing in a burning Kalasar flames. Bro, that was a bonfire that could have burnt that burnt down the whole city they of Ass Dothra. Hardened mether, metal. Bro, she did head. it two times. She <laughs> did it like she got she burnt the shit down when with the witch that told her she couldn't have kids and then she burnt the shit down in Vast Dothra. Dude, she walked out of two big ass bonfires untouched and unscathed, man. Like not even a burn on her. Like, her hair stayed intact. I mean like, I, Oh in, in the in the books, guys, I will say that her hair was was singed burnt off. off. Yeah. But Regardless, like, she didn't have a scratch on her. I don't know, man. You put molten gold on his head. That's pretty screwed up. It, like, encaves your skull. So that's kind of my argument there. We don't really know. Crown fucking. 
Yeah, well <laughs> that's what, played. That's what Jason Momoa is the yeah. man. Um, but, okay, from this point, you know, Danny and John kind of keep going back and forth. So, yeah, she allows John to mine the, the dragon glass. She gives him permission. You may, you may mine in the dragon glass. Right. And then, like, but didn't she also say, like, but, like, um, I still haven't changed my mind. He said, neither have I. Like, about, you well, have, do you have that? John goes, so you believe me about the Night King and the Army of the Dead. And all she says is, you better get to work, John Snow. And it, it goes to show, like, she doesn't believe John at all at this point. And keep in mind, this is that big conflict in the show because John is, they're there for two completely separate things. They are not there. John is not there to be taking down King's Landing. John is there for the Night King and the Army of the Dead. Danny is there because she thinks John is going to help him out taking down Cersei's ass. Yep. That's what the deal is. She still thinks he's a crazy lunatic lunatic that belongs in the psych ward. That's exactly what it is. Well, here's the thing, but I, I don't want to say this quote because it comes in later. But Danny Danny doesn't know. I want to say that she at this point thinks he's a lunatic cuz Tyrion kind of believes him and she so it's more that like you know, it's one of those things you got to see to believe, right? Like, like you want to believe it, like you don't want to believe, but at the, same, at the same time, of all the facts are pointing towards that way. So I wouldn't say she believed he was a lunatic at this time. I think she was starting to come around to the idea of the possibility. But um, regardless, we go back to Winterfell, right? Oh, big snake! Yeah. Dude, even, big snake! Even before big snake here, let's talk about Sansa growing into her own. She starts making some badass like, executive decisions. She tells all the other northern houses that they've got to send grain to Winterfell, and if they don't need it by the time like like the long winter comes, they will give it back to them. But she says if we've got to pull everyone back to Winterfell, we need to last more than just the year because that's what her maester was telling her. We've only got enough grain and, and crops to last one year. And a long winter, guys. Keep in mind the seasons are su- they're not the same as like the seasons in our day to day life. Like remember, a summer right. lasted nine, ten years. A winter can last. So this is a long night that's coming, and so that's not going to be acceptable to have everything only last for one year. So she's telling that she makes the, the decision that she's going to basically tell every other house in the north pull all your grain back here if we don't use it we'll give it right back to you no questions asked but at the end of the day if you guys need to all form like swarm to winterfell we need to be able to feed everybody that was number one here's a quick question though not to chime in and interrupt you but do you think they saw winter as a sense of war and everything else was a sense of peace uh, I think they all knew that the, the army of the dead was coming and they needed yeah. to figure out how they were going to survive without even fighting. They got to figure out how to survive the winter. Which I get, but going back even to season one in the original Game of Thrones books, Ned talks to Arya and says, you know, you never seen a winter. Yeah, you were born in the long summer. Go back to Robert's Rebellion. Was that a winter for them? No. Do you think, I think that was... No, I think that was summer. I think that was summer. I mean, I could see that. I just wasn't sure if they... Like, I know seasons are different, but I wasn't sure from their perspective. And the reason why I think it was summer... But again, this was in Dorne, so it could be different. But remember when in, in the vision for Bran, Ned Stark, they had just killed Rhaegar, and he came to the Tower of Joy and fought um, Arthur Dane? Like, that was summer. Like, that, like, like, like it was war. Okay. So, I don't yeah. know. Again, that was in Dorne. That could be different, because Dorne's in the south. That's like saying, you know, Florida's winter compared to New York's winter, right? right. So I don't, I don't really know. Right. Yeah, it could be whatever, but... Um, anyways, to go back to Sansa, to another executive decision that like she was talking about, they're walking through, and they're seeing like these breastplates being made from steel, 
And Sansa straight up tells him, like, well, shouldn't these be covered in leather as well to keep them warm? And uh, Yoan Royce, he goes, yeah, well, yes, they absolutely should. I'm going to go talk to him about it right now. So, like, she's starting to come into her own a little bit, commanding. And, you know, that's when Baelish tells her, you know, like, um, command suits you, right? So talk a little bit about uh, what happens next after Sansa. I do want to say this because yeah. this is a big quote, um, and he is a snake. But he says, one or two things will happen. Either the dead will defeat the living, in which case all our troubles come to an end, or life will win out. And what then? Don't fight in the north or the south. Fight every battle everywhere, always in your mind. Everyone is your enemy. Everyone is your friend. Every possible series of events is happening all at once. Live that way and nothing will surprise you. Everything that happens will be something that you've seen before. And it goes to show this is when he's trying to start getting into Sansa's head at this he's point. He's been trying to get in Sansa's head since day one. Um, but yeah, no, that, that's a good point. And now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Sansa's brother, Bran, because Mira <laughs> brings Bran to Winterfell. And Sansa and Bran see each other. The gothic kid. <laughs> right? Sansa and Love Bran- you gothics, by the way. We're big fans. Sansa and Bran see each other for the first time since season one. Because Sansa, remember, Bran had fallen off the, like, well, he was pushed off the big tower there in Winterfell and he was paralyzed. Sansa had already rode south with her father and their retinue to King's Landing. So they haven't seen each other since Bran fell and, like, came to. Like, she obviously knew from the Raven that he survived and he was alive, but they haven't seen each other in seven years. So I thought that was pretty cool that they... <laughs> Instead of a high, he's like, guess what? Guess what I saw, boy? <laughs> lady, Miss Lady. Hello, Miss Lady. Guess what I saw happen to you? <laughs> yeah, no. So before that, though, uh, Sansa tells Bran that, hey, you are the trueborn son of Ned Stark, so now you're the Lord of Winterfell. And Bran says, I can never be Lord of Winterfell. I can never be Lord of anything. I'm Three-Eyed Raven. So, which is very, very conflicting with what happens next season, but we're going to stop there with that. So, <laughs> he literally says in his own words, I, can, I cannot be Lord of Winterfell. I can never be Lord of anything. Yeah. But okay, whatever. Anyways. Well, technically he wasn't a Lord, Okay, right? well, that's <laughs> so, one part. Something but else. <laughs> we'll, we'll go get there when we get there. But then then Bran, Bran tries to explain to Sansa what the Three-Eyed Raven actually is. And he, can, he said he can see everything, everything that's ever happened to everyone and everything that's happening right now. So again, to like really specify what the Three-Eyed Raven's abilities are from the show, it's past and present, not future. Where in the books, it's, it's alluded that they can see the future as well. So, yeah. And I love this quote because this is when Sansa really realizes he is the Three-Eyed Raven. And this is almost... Or at least has abilities that she's not accustomed to. Yeah. Because she doesn't really know what the Three-Eyed Raven... Like, like, you know, he tells her what he can see and do, but, like, she doesn't really understand that yet. Like, think of this just from an outside perspective if you're in that world. Like, Sansa, basically at this point, before she hears this, is thinking, maybe he just has, like, PTSD. He's, like, screwed up in the head. Uh, like, what's going on? Like, is he mentally unstable? He just doesn't even know I'm actually here. And Bran says this. I'm sorry it had to happen here in our home. So beautiful. You look so beautiful that night. Snow falling just like like now. And you were so beautiful in your white wedding dress. 
So he literally just showed Sansa that he he saw her on her wedding night when he was nowhere near her. He was well beyond the wall, and he couldn't see a single thing. He he she just he just freaked Sansa out by explaining to her exactly what he saw and explaining her wedding night exactly. So now she knows that he's got some weird, strange abilities. Um, so could you imagine your brother knowing you basically got yeah right. Mm-hmm. Oh, he saw everything, right? And so now this kind of takes us over back to the Citadel in Old Town. The infection is... Uh, he like This is what the Archmaster said. The infection no longer appears to be active. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's exactly what he said. So uh, Sam cured Jorah Mormont. And he's, he's basically... Like, the Archmaster kicks Jorah out. It was the out. climate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he kicks him out. He's like, this This ward is for uh, sick and infectious people, and you are no longer. Like, so he, like, he's free to go. Not very happy with Sam. Oh, but not at free all. To go. But here's my thing. Like, Sam found his calling because the Archmaster, when he when he talked to Sam later on, the Archmaster said that many maesters whose chains are heavy with links have tried and failed that procedure, which is huge because Sam has not really been good at anything ever sam is like like you know just never been had never had a calling never been the best at really anything and he's finally found something he's really good at there's people who have been maesters for years who and then that was the big alliteration here is that many maesters with chains that are heavy with links couldn't do that he's a rookie not even a maester yet and he was able to pull off that procedure super impressive so yeah, and I think this was really Sam's calling. I mean, we go back to the Night's Watch. He never was meant to really be a warrior. No, he's a steward. Yeah, and he was he was the um, steward directly to uh, Aemon Targaryen, and how it was able to help him like read and come up with stuff. So his his everything for him has really been in the books and behind the scenes. And so, uh, but the thing is, is he kind of gets punished in a way because he's instructed to make copies of the books that are decaying. And like you know, because basically Archmaster gives him props. He's like, you should be proud. You know, everything like you know, what you've done is really impressive. Like you saved a man's life. A person is alive because of you. You should be proud. But then like gives him like one of the grunt work jobs and tells him what you were expecting some sort of reward. Well, your reward was not getting kicked the fuck out of here. Right. So, you know yeah. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was great. Um, um, and then we go into you know the Unsullied. Yes. Yep. And this is a big scene, actually. Which this is, is a really big scene. Really, really weird because, like, the Unsullied, as they attempt to take Castle Rock, like, Tyrion's, like, narrating this as it happens, but then it's strange because it's not what he said. Like, like, let's go through this a little bit. Like, you you go a little bit, and, and then what you got down, I'll tell you what I got down. Well, uh, remember when Tyrion was describing to Danny that the way they were going to take casterly rock they would be outnumbered first overtaking the walls um and you know many would die but you know he his father tywin always advised against it but he would sneak whores into the tunnel <laughs> that's what he would did and so gray worm actually sneaks into the tunnel um first you kind of see you know he cuts the throat of one as he's oh, in the tunnel. We're going to narrate the whole battle. Go that into it. But <laughs> the point is, they sneak in through the tunnels, and then they open the gates. 
And then inside the gates, he kind of sneaks up the stairs, takes out some guys, and then that's how they wind up overtaking Casterly Rock. But remember, like, like as Tina was narrating this whole thing, he was talking about how, like, many of them will die. And you start it. seeing many of them dying. The point is, like, the, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is that it didn't happen as Tyrion said. Like, you think it is until you realize what actually happened. Because then Grey Worm realizes there should have been a lot more Lannisters here. Which like, so, is a trap. So before before that though, Tyrion was explaining to Danny about the passage through the sewers, and I and I wrote this down because you know <laughs> Bron's my guy all day, love Bron. So he quotes Bron. He's like, as an old friend once told me, "Give me ten good men, and I'll impregnate the bitch." Talking to remember that's when, that's that's Excellent. a shout out to Bran, to Bron when he was talking about uh, the Eerie and how he would he would uh, be able to overtake that there. So. Um, that was the whole point of the, the sewer passage. I'm going through it after they were trying to climb the walls. Like it seemed like the Unsullied were getting slaughtered, but they really weren't because there weren't as many Lannisters that were, were there that should have been there, which I'll let you go into here now. Uh, which I just like this quote because imagine, you know, Grey Worm is fighting up the stairs at this point. I mean, I even have, you know, of course he sliced the throat of one and he killed three other men, speared, shield hit one with the shield knocked him against the wall still fighting up the stairs josh laughs because i can narrow it down to the t because that's how close we watch these things um and then he gets to the top of the stairs and he even threw a spear through one mounting him against the wall but Tyrion says they will face the bulk of the lannister forces they will be outnumbered they will have less armor and fewer weapons but my sister's armies fight for her out of fear the unsullied will be fighting for something greater they will be fighting for freedom the person who gave it to them they will be fighting for you and that is why they will triumph and it shows gray worm fighting all the way up through the entire castle rock till they get to the top and they realize that was way too easy yes that was the whole point is the fact that Tyrion's narrating this whole thing and it makes it look like it was following Tyrion's words to a t until you like the gray one grabs a guy and he's like where is the rest of the Lannister army <laughs> right and <laughs> that was dead on but please do that again that was a dead on gray one impression where is the rest of the Lannister army say <laughs> but, where's uh, your dick yeah i'm not gonna do that <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> he grabs him and so that's when you realize that jamie actually was the superior military commander than Tyrion, which he should have been because Tyrion is not a military commander he's a st- strategist and everything that you have in strategy works in theory until it's put into place in battle. So they were tricked because Euron, Euron's fleet attacks the unsullied empty ships and the rest of the Lannister army is now marching on Highgarden instead of being there at Casterly Rock. Why is that important? Now the unsullied cannot leave Casterly Rock and they destroyed all of the crops and all of the food so that way the unsullied couldn't stay at Casterly Rock. They have to march across the plains on foot, across the country on foot. Fucking smart ass shit, bro. Danny's plan is falling apart. And by the way, Tyrion's that, plan is falling Tyrion's apart. Tyrion's plan, well played. Yeah, Danny wanted to take it by force. Uh, the reason I said that, by the way, quick side note uh, the guy that played Grey Worm, I watched an interview. He was actually on the subway in New York, and he said some guy was behind his newspaper, and all he kept hearing was from three guys behind the newspaper. Where is your dick? And then he looked over and it was three like fans <laughs> waving at him. That's hilarious. Yeah. So that actually jumps us to now where Jamie 
uh, he they take over High Garden pretty quickly because they never like you know even Elena admits that, like you know they're not fighters they're not really fighters right so she asks like how they fought and Jamie said you know as well as can be expected <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Jamie tells on Elena of how he, they foiled their plans they emptied Casterly Rock stores so that the Unsullied couldn't defend their position and burn their ships so they couldn't they, so the only way they could leave is to march across the country right and so Elena says. And quote, so you went where your enemies weren't. And then Jamie pays homage to my boy. It says, just like Rob Stark did to me at Whispering Wood, there is lessons in failure. And I love the next quote because you find out a big point here. You know, she's talking to Jamie and is basically like, how will she do it? Because she knows she's lost at this point. Yep. She's going to die. She knows. Yeah. And Jamie, uh, you know, she was going to behead you in front of the entire crowd and she hands her the poison and she drinks it. And then she says, I'd hate to die. Like your son clawing at my neck, foam and bile spilling from my mouth, eyes, blood red and skin purple must've been horrible for you. As a Kingsguard, as a father, it was a horrible enough for me. A shocking scene. Not at all what I had intended, you see. I had never seen the poison work before. Tell Cersei. I want her to know it was me. Yep. Exactly. And guess who we found out did it? After all these Accusations against Tyrion saying he's the one that killed Joffrey. Olenna admits to killing Joffrey by the Strangler and wants Jaime to tell Cersei that it was her. So it's amazing that she admitted after because this is the big thing. If she admitted before she was given the poison, he could have taken her back and could have killed her in a more way torturous way. But she was smart enough to take the poison first. So she was already going to die before he could do any more bad punishment to her or take her back to Cersei where she could even do something worse. She took it. And uh, so like that's why he couldn't make her die in a worse way is because she was already dying after she took the poison. Yeah, it was a great, smart, strategic way to uh, let them know, hey, at the end of the day, I fucked you guys over. I killed the king, and you can't do shit about it because you just poisoned me, and that's that. Sorry, buddy. And Jamie's pissed. Yeah, and that's exactly how point. episode three concludes. And this next one is a badass episode. Episode four. The Spoils of War. It's my Actually, I got to say, this episode is one of my favorites in the whole series. Yeah. Just because how visually stunning it is. For sure. Towards the end. Um, so we kind of start off here, and you see, you know, right after oh, taking overtaking Highgarden, uh, Jamie and Braun are kind of bitching at each other, and he's bitching about a castle. <laughs> Yo, he really is. Bro, tell them a little bit about that. I'm going to go grab something real quick. So uh, Jamie and Braun are kind of going back and forth. And, you know, Jamie <laughs> is like, we always pay our debts. <laughs> and Braun is sitting here saying except for me jamie gives him this big huge hunk of gold at this point and Braun is still complaining he says well it's not a castle and you know ever since the beginning braun's been saying you know you should have given me a castle and he says that's a lot of gold i handed you and they're basically going back and forth back and forth and it goes to show, you know, Braun is always at this point. He's always about himself. We're just going to go into season eight here in a bit because, you know, he, he, 
he doesn't really care. He's always all about the money, which is funny because that's what the Lannisters are always usually about. But then we kind of jump into a little bit is Baelish uh, gives Bran Stark uh, the dagger at this point, the cat's paw dagger, which is a really big deal. True. One thing I didn't want to mention about that as well is that Jamie Lannister, they're, they're leading the armies back to King's Landing with all of Highgarden's gold and harvest crops. So the reason why I want to bring that up, it's super important, because keep in mind Cersei told Tychos, the leader of the Iron Bank, that she was going to pay their debt in full. So now they're transporting all of Highgarden's gold and all of their crops so that way King's Landing can uh, wait out this entire battle. They'll, they'll at least be able to feed their people and themselves to keep them safer, at least in that aspect during the siege, if their siege were to take place. Perfect. Uh, so then, what's Ooh. ironic? Ooh, actually, there's a couple things before Littlefinger gives Bran the dagger. Okay. So Cersei, he, uh, she tells Tycho Nestoris that Jaime is on his way with the gold to pay their debt in full, and Tycho wants to continue their working relationship and invest in Cersei. And this is the first we hear of the Golden Company. And Tycho promises the Iron's Bank support to Cersei once they receive the gold. That's what that's, that's huge stuff because the Golden Company is supposed to be one of the most powerful armies in Essos. And she was able to, well, well I'll tell you what she's able to purchase when we get there. But the fact is the Iron Bank has now had their debt settled or is about to have their debt settled with Cersei and the Lannisters. And because they've paid it all back in full, they want to continue supporting her. And what did Tywin Lannister say wins war? Gold wins wars. Right. And what's funny is at this point, right? Because you got to think, you know, Jamie and Bronn, the Lannisters have taken over Highgarden. Yep. And then now you have John and Dragonstone. So you kind of have, you know, these... Basically, it's kind of one-on-one at this point. Like, think about it. You have So Highgarden's no longer there. Alaria is completely captured. So basically what you kind of have is you have the Lannisters against Danny and John, which I mean, John, we're going to find out what happens later, but that's basically what it is. It's two on one at this point. So from a military perspective, she's thinking, you know, if I side with, I don't want to say gold cloaks, no, the golden, golden company, golden, golden company, company. You know, it's kind of like two on two at that point. Right. And now we will we'll talk about Littlefinger and, and the dagger. Go ahead, because I know that you love that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, you know, Baelish gives Bran the dagger, which this is very ironic here, because remember what we were talking about last episode. Remember, you know, the assassin tried to kill Bran with that dagger. And so he looks at the dagger and just takes it, and I mean, you know, Baelish was saying how it's real Valyrian steel, and he doesn't even want it at this point. And it's very ironic, too, because Baelish thinks he doesn't even know about all this shit, but now he's the three eye raven, so he can see everything at this point. And then we kind of have Mira says goodbye to Bran. Before that, I'm going to go into that in detail, because I think it's it. super important. I, I, this is one of the things I think is really, really detailed about this dagger, right? So Littlefinger gives the Bran the dagger that was meant to kill Bran in season one. This is the same dagger that Catelyn Stark broke, like, like killed her hands on 
like like grabbed it straight and until like the the wolf uh came in summer came in and saved bran and killed the the intruder right so this dagger is really important you know as we talked about a week ago now when littlefinger actually lies to bran bran asks do you know who this dagger belonged to he tells bran no uh but the fact is is that um, the, 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 that very question is exactly what started the War of the Five Kings in the first place. He doesn't understand that Bran is a three-eyed raven and can see everything from the past. And on a related note, he told Catelyn in season one that it was his, but Tyrion won it from him. So we, they, there's so many conflicting things. Like, is this is this Baelish's dagger? Is it Tyrion's dagger? Whose dagger is this? Like, like what happened here, right? So Bran pulls out this huge one-liner because. Baelish says, to make your way home, only to find such chaos in the world. And Bran cuts him off and says, chaos is a ladder. Which echoes Littlefinger's own words that he told Sansa back in season four after they murdered Joffrey and they were on the way back to the the Vale. And no, that goes into what I was about to say because Mira basically almost like confesses her love for him i don't know do you think she loved him no i think like hauled him around a little pole no (laughs) there's no romantic sled for a while but no she definitely deserved more than what she got but like (laughs) i don't think she confesses love i think she expected like more of a heartfelt like you know what your family has done so much for me thank you for all that you've done and we wouldn't be here without you anything and and all basically what happens is brown's like no i don't need you anymore (laughs) (laughs) and this goes into your point he goes (laughs) She goes, my brother died for you. Hodor and Summer died for you. I almost died for you, Bran. And he goes, I am not Bran. I remember what it felt like to be Brandon Stark, but I remember so much more else now. And then she goes, you died in that cave. You died in that cave. And, and like, that goes, out. he's not Bran anymore. Bran oh, is gone. Exactly. Bran is completely That's gone. That's what people are don't understand. Like, people think, like, he lost all of his personality at the same time. Dude, he's he's himself, but he's also every other raven that's ever lived and is currently living. There's so many thoughts and minds and things happening in his head. It's hard for him to to put any emotional sense of words into things. And keep in mind, he's still in the early stages of being the three-eyed raven. He's like he hasn't mastered it yet. And we learn later on like how he grows and is able to kind of be more of himself while also being the three-eyed raven. But he's in the very very early stages of this and so she takes it super personal and it's sad because you can tell it's not what he wants but he doesn't have a way to explain it to her that's going to make sense do you think bran is even in there yes absolutely because as i said even said i remember what it felt like to be brandon stark yeah. so for sure he's in there but talking about another stark our girl is back. Our girl is back. Aria. Our girl is back. Arya is so back. So remember when I told you I had an Easter egg when I first got mm-hmm. here last week and I was excited to talk about this? Oh, I'm pulling out my YouTube because y'all about to get your minds blown. All <laughs> oh, right? yeah. Arya rides back in Winterfell. Okay? And I don't think many is gonna, are going to remember this moment. But she is stopped by two guards at Winterfell. And it's a full, full circle moment because back in season one, Arya tried to go back into the Red Keep, and she was also stopped by two guards who laughed at her as well when she said she lived there. Until she told them back in season one that her father was Hand of the King, and that if they put a hand on her, he would have their heads on spikes. Now, in Winterfell, 
two guards are also laughing at her, telling her to fuck off and get out of there when she's saying that she belongs there and what Sansa would do if they realize that it is her sister. So, just for you guys, I pull it up on video. You're going to listen to this. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it's the ultimate full circle moment. So, I'm going to go ahead and pull this on to you. Chase got to grab something real quick. So, I'm going to go ahead and put this on here. Let me pull it up real quick. Alrighty, there it is. There it is. Perfect. This is from season one. smack on your ear to help you with your hearing. I want to see my father. I want to fight the Queen for all the good it does me. <laughs> you want your father, boy? He's lying on the floor of some tavern, getting pissed on by his friends. My father is Hans the King. I'm not a boy, I'm Arya Stark of Winterfell. And if you lay a hand on me, my father will have both your heads on spikes. Now, are you going to let me by, or do I need to smack you on the ear to help with your hearing? So right there, a full circle moment. You guys heard it yourself. And not only did she talk, like, was it the same like like sort of thing where two guards laughed her off and said, like, obviously you don't belong here type of deal. Remember what you just heard. Uh, she said, this is no place for a beggar. And how does that translate? Remember when she was a beggar with Jack and Hagar and he's like, a girl is not a beggar anymore. So there's two parts right there where that comes full circle, her story does. And so I just found it super, super interesting how... In season one, they the two guards again two, and two two guards that went at uh, the King's Landing of the Red Keep told her she doesn't belong there. Even said even though she said she lived there, then two guards at Winterfell said she doesn't belong there, even though she lives there. And both times she threatened them. Number one, he threatened she threatened the two guards at um, King's Landing with her father, the Hand of the King, saying that she held their heads in spikes. And then she threatened the two guards at Winterfell, saying, "If I am who I say I am, what do you think Sansa would do to people who denied her sister?" So it's just so perfect how it comes to full circle, and that's why I was so excited to share with everybody. So, anyways, I was very happy about that. I'm very Excellent. proud of myself. <laughs> so, anyways, um, yeah, absolutely. So um, Sansa and Arya reunite in the Stark Crips. Arya seems kind of frosty towards Sansa, though. And that's what I have down here. And we don't actually... Obviously, they never had the best of terms growing up. So maybe it was stemming from that. Because it started out frosty, but then they embraced and hugged. And it seemed like it was good. They had like some giggles and some laughs. But like to me, there was still some underlying conflict between... Sansa and Arya if anyone else picked up on that during this scene specifically underneath the crypts no, of the Stark yeah so definitely yeah what do you have on that uh I mean basically what I just put was I mean what would I kind of had a little bit of Podrick and Brienne we we're going a little bit back and forth uh before that but yeah I mean I guess Catelyn a little bit if you kind of think about with them being in the crypts, which is ironic because in the book she's brought back. I guess she would be proud of the two at that point, but Sansa is really starting to see at this point, starting up 
Arya has grown into something you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. She doesn't quite know yet, because like, like yeah, you know, she's she accidentally lets it slip that like she has a list of names and and Sansa Khan's a lot laughs it off. Like when she says a list of people I'm going to kill, and like sounds like ah yeah okay. Like yeah. she doesn't quite understand yet until what's going to come up here. Arya goes to see Bran with Sansa. Right. And Bran tells Arya that he saw her at the crossroads, which basically he's revealing his abilities to her. And uh, he, he, he tells her, I saw you at the crossroads. I thought you were going to go south to King's Landing. And she said, I thought so too. And then uh, he tells her, and Sansa tells uh, Bran, like, why would he, she go to King's Landing? He said, well, Cersei's on a list of people. So she now knows right. that that list is actually fucking real, exactly. which is pretty creepy, man. Yep. And then Bran gives Arya the dagger. Now, to me, this is the thing I'm going to bring up, and I talked about it to you last mm-hmm. week as well, before, like, without doing this, uh, the podcast, uh, we were talking about it ahead of time. Did Bran know what was going to happen the entire time with that dagger? Why else would he give it to Arya specifically? He could have refused a dagger from Peter Baelish to begin with. He could have given it to Sansa. He could have given it to Brienne to protect Sansa. He could have given it to anybody. He held on to it specifically and gave it even... And it was crazy because Arya and both Sansa were there together at the same point in time. And he specifically gave the dagger to Arya. So does he know... Like, like are, we tar- are we starting to see like something that wasn't mentioned that maybe he has... The ability to see the future like it's possible in the books that they, they allude to that or is it just coincidental and he gives Arya the dagger because she see he sees that she's a woman warrior and he's got no use for it so that's that's the big question here is why why accept the, the dagger from Baelish and then why give it to Arya specifically my argument is he definitely does know because the three-eyed raven sees everything no but that's the thing in the series it's said mentioned specifically multiple times three separate occasions that they see the past and the present only but here's the thing remember this jumps into later on but he said i don't even want it like if you didn't want it why did you even take it you could have just told dalish i don't want it right that's what i'm saying like that's what we're trying to figure out here it's because like from what we've been told and what he's told other people he can only see, the Three Raven can only see everything that's happened and everything that's happening. He's mentioned it on three different quotes that uh, it's so, only the past and present. So do you think he's already seen the future and what's going to happen, which is why? I don't know. That's the thing. Is like, is, is this a part where, like, is, is it a plot hole? Uh, or is this something that maybe it is coincidental and it ends up working out for them? I, I really I don't have an answer for this and you know so I'll, I'll put the question out to the to the audience what do you guys think do you think he knew that what was going to happen was going to come to pass and that's why he gave it specifically to her and took it from Baelish in the first place or do you think it was coincidental because of how it's been portrayed throughout the seasons that hey the three eye raven can only see the past and the present and not the future so interested to in seeing what you guys respond to that that's my question but yeah here we kind of jump into you know, my Sunday is yeah. talking to Danny after sure we move in the club and I shake my stuff. Ooh, yep. yeah, that's the remix. Got the shaking, shaking, bacon, bacon, bacon. <laughs> yeah. She definitely tells him that they dillied for sure. They got that t- a little tongue action on there. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, that's something. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. on rolling. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of fucking sleigh. Anyways, <laughs> so then John and Danny and Sunday 
go to one the caves and where with Sir Davos. So Sir Davos, Missandei, Danny, and John uh, go take a look inside the caves because uh, he wants to show her the dragon glass and says, "Take a look at this." Right. And they see all the paintings on the wall. Well, only John and Danny at that point. So they bring them all down to there, gotcha. and he okay. takes and he takes Danny specifically, and she shows he so ah wow he shows Danny. The hieroglyphics of the children of the forest and the first men and the night king with the white walkers. So he, like, they start to see everything. Like on the, this is this was all done thousands of years before they even existed. They see almost like you guys the ancient hieroglyphics that the archaeologists come up with that we learned about in high school and history class. They see those. They see that the children of the forest working with the first men to defeat the common enemy, which is the Night King and the White Walkers. And that is exactly when Danny tells John that she will fight for the North once he bends the knee. Now, let's keep this in perspective, though. She's thinking this, you know, if you go out to the Middle East or you go to the Grand Canyon, yeah, you'll see cave people that made paintings. She thinks it's just an archaeological structure that's there with some I paintings. Don't on it. Think so. I don't truly, think so. I truly no, 100% don't think so because she tells him, "I will fight for the north once he bends the knee." Because I think she's starting to see like, okay, I've been, been revealed evidence time after time again. You've told me, you've convinced my advisors. Now I'm seeing hieroglyphics that have been here for thousands of years. My own ancestors held Dragonstone. These have been here longer than them. I, I understand now that there's something out there. I don't know quite what it is yet, but I promise I will fight for the North, but you need to bend the knee first. See, I see it opposite. I see it as, I will fight for you. I will fight for the North when you bend the knee. As in, yeah, I'll still fight for you when they bend the knee. Like, I don't give This a shit is the big point. Pains. She never once agreed to fight for the North to start with. She only agreed once she saw these hieroglyphics, meaning she knew there was something behind them. Meaning she like understood that. I don't know if it's exactly the way Jon Snow is portraying it or like what they're saying, but at the end of the day, there's something out there that they need my help with and only I can help. Because she saw like the First Men and the Children of the Forest uniting against a common enemy with the Night King and the, the uh, White Walkers. And here's another point here. Think of all the people that keep throwing the pride thing in front of John. She says, they will if their king does. Isn't their survival important to your pride? And remember what Ramsey threw at John. Like, it's like everyone keeps throwing the pride thing at John. Like, it's like... It's like they see John as such a humble guy at this point. They just think he's almost like an easy target to be like, listen, if you submit to me here, like everything's going to be fine. Now, I do, I do want to say, yeah, it, it definitely brings a big point onto Danny of you seeing these hieroglyphics. But at the same time, there is a big quote later on. I didn't believe them until I saw them. Which we'll talk about later. But she said you can never believe it until you see it for yourself. That's what she said. And just like anybody, it's not just her. Like, and she didn't say I, I, I did, I could, I didn't believe it. She said you never really believe it until you see it for yourself. So like, it's not that she didn't believe him. She didn't want to believe him, but she knew there was something, and she didn't realize it was as advertised. I would say as bad. I so, can see that. Yeah. Which kind of brings us to the next point where Tyrion and Varys tell her their latest failure at Casterly Rock. So she's learning that she got fucked up at Dorne. She got fucked over at Casterly Rock. And so she she straight up 
tells him that she's gonna she's done with it and she's gonna burn the shit to the ground. Yeah. And then Tyrion and Varys like try to like calm her down. And what does she do? She asks John's advice, which is he- a huge moment. This is a stranger from a northern land that you know nothing about. You've got nothing in common with, and you straight up ask this guy, "What's your counsel? Like, what would you tell me?" John's like, "What the fuck? Like, like, what do you like? Like, you barely even let me like not be a prisoner here. You just let me mind the dragon glass. Like, why are you like asking me like questions of counsel on what to do with your wars?" But he took it in stride. And John- go- oh, I'm sorry. After you, yeah. So I was gonna say, John. Uh, he's another one that calls her off from trying to kill everyone. His exact quotes, if you use them to melt castles and burn cities, you're not different. You're just more of the same. Basically, another another thing like she's alluding to becoming what she ends up becoming that we've talked to you since we started this show back in January, and this is just another one of the people telling like calling her off from her basic instinct, which is to fuck everyone up. <laughs> that was oh, that's the best quote I've ever heard. <laughs> fuck everyone up. What I was gonna say, uh, real quick, was it goes to show at this point. Where it's almost like it almost backs me up for a minute of Tyrion. I don't want to say he's fighting for his family, but just like you were saying, like he was trying to find an alternate method. Yeah, Yeah, best of both worlds. Because she says, Our enemies, your family, you mean. Perhaps you don't want to hurt them after all. Enough with the clever plans. I have three large dragons. I'm going to fly them to the Red Keep. My idiot. My enemies are in the Red Keep. What kind of queen am I if I'm not willing to risk my life and fight for them? Like, I mean, it goes to show Tyrion at this point is trying to find any method he can without completely burning down the city. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's trying to, like, how can we still have a population to rule over while, like, we can also take over the city. Like, he's trying to find the best of both worlds without realizing, listen, you're going to have to do some shit you don't want to do and not be happy about it if you want to win this war. Because, obviously, he's been outsmarted on two fronts. He was outsmarted by Jamie and he was outsmarted by Cersei in Dorne and in Cashley Rock. Yep. So, Varys actually breaks the news that Euron Greyjoy's fleet attacks Yara... Wait, did I, did I do that already? Yes, well, I, I did that already. My where friend. I'm at already is... Uh, Arya so. and Brienne do their spar, right? Yeah, Brienne yep, and... There it is. You there know, Podrick is. is kind of becoming a little bit like... Dude, uh, he sucks. Dude, no. I want to say... I mean, no. I, 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 it's funny you said that because I was about to just argue. You may like, try. I, bro, you straight up... like you made, that, you made that illusion like, I don't know, four episodes ago or like whatever. Suck. He sucks. Bro, He's Brienne's kicking a dude. He's trash. kicking his ass. Dude, it, it, like it's just straight up like he's not even doing anything. She's telling him exactly what he's doing wrong as she's just kicking his ass over and over again. He's not learning. He's what just was that he's a quote? squire. Which one? Sorry. Go ahead. No, Go ahead. I want you to I, say. I don't it know if I have it. it. You may try. Oh. Are <laughs> oh, you talking about from the so from the yeah. Rens of the Sith? My favorite one. You always say. So you know, I don't know if we're ever gonna get back into these uh, the older Star Wars because we kind of did a quick Star Wars summary when we started this podcast, but. Mandalorian season two next year. Yeah, right. If you guys remember from the Revenge of the Sith episode three, uh, Obi Wan gets off the thing and like they have a quick monologue back and forth, and before they fight, and Obi Wan goes, "I will do what I must," and he goes, "You will try." <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I, I, the yeah, Podrick did what Podrick could, which is just like not anything, and so 
Arya goes up to her and she tells Brienne, like, I haven't trained in a long time. I'd like to train with you. And Brienne says, okay, I'll, I'll go grab, like, the, um, the Swordmaster. And she goes, the Swordmaster didn't defeat the Hound in single combat. So basically telling her, I want to I want to fight against you, Brienne. And so they have the most epic spar that you will ever see for people not trying to kill each other. And I love what she tells her here. She says, I won't cut you. Don't worry. Yep. And this is when you really see Arya display. At her best. Because, guys, keep in mind, what did what has Brienne done? I don't know. Only beat Jamie Lannister, even though his hands were shackled and trying to fight. Beat ba- Jamie Lannister. Beat Loras Tyrell. Beat the Hound. Beat Stannis Baratheon. She's only cut. Like she's only one of the best swordsmen in the fucking Westeros, right? And what happens? She's on an even playing field with small ass Arya with a tiny ass needle sword and a dagger. Like, like Arya makes her not look silly. But at the end of the day, Arya is a young girl. Brienne is in the full prime of her warrior phase. And they fight to a draw. They spar to a complete draw where Brienne has her sword going down towards Arya. But Arya has a dagger up to Brienne's neck. So that is so badass. Because as that's going on, who's watching? Sansa and Littlefinger. And you can see Sansa is starting to get worried because she realizes Arya's a dangerous motherfucker. And Brienne can't touch Arya for half of this. Arya is so quick. It's a it's a it's a dead even spar. Because remember, like he, she does boot her in the chest and knock Arya down. Then Arya does that kick flick back up. So like straight, oh, you you got the whole shit written down, don't you? Of course. Yeah, but I wasn't oh, gonna go all go. into that. Do you want to go into that? Real <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't. But long long story short, is they fight to a draw. And what I love the best out of this is Brienne, after they have that like that last moment where she has got the dagger up and Brienne's got her sword down, Brienne go, asks Arya, who taught you how to do that? And Arya responds, no one. And I Oh, even, that was good. Here's the thing. Uh, I wouldn't even say it's a draw. I wore it down 3-1 because there's two times uh, where she actually touches Brienne and holds her up. And then the third time was when she had to flip the dagger to get to Brienne's throat. When I would say, why I say it's a draw is because none of the the things that she hit Brienne with would have killed Brienne. Now, nothing right. nothing okay. was debilitating enough. But like, I agree with Both of them coming down, like she could have thrown the sword through Arya's like, throat and Arya could have done the same like with the dagger upwards. Like, yes, she hit Brienne's hand. Yes, she like got her off. And yes, Brienne did give her a nice boot kick to the fucking chest. But neither of them... Where like none of them had any fatal moves against each other until the very end when they both could have like you know that was a, that was the end of the spar like they both could have killed each other at the same time. And I think this is that moment though, like even bigger. Yeah, Sansa realizes damn, shit. Arya's got like, some shit. Yeah. Shit. But even Baelish is like, oh, this is a bad bitch. Yeah. dude. Yeah, exactly. He stayed longer and he kind of like nervously like nods to her. And I ain't fucking the with fuck. your yeah, bloodline. I ain't fucking with you. Let's do whatever. I ain't fucking with you. Yeah, dude, 100%. 100%, man. And so, um, yeah, now the Greyjoy ship lands with the last surviving Ironborn that are loyal to Danny, And Theon and Jon see each other for the first time since season one. And he, like, like Theon tries to be, like, bold at first. Like, he, like, looks at Jon. John, <laughs> like, like nods his head, and John walks right up to him, grabs him by the shirt, throws him into his face, and he tells him, "What you did for Sansa is the only reason I'm not killing you right now." 
<laughs> shit was badass. Little bro. Reek flies up on the Yo. ship like castaway, baby. Little castaway time. Dude, that shit was badass. So, yeah, so that, that's what happened there. And then we go into what we both love. This is one of the most visually stunning moments in the entire series. Uh, all the gold is safely through King's Landing. And this is important for me to tell you this because the crops have not gone through to King's Landing yet, but all the gold has safely gone. What's that mean? That means Cersei has the money to pay back the Iron Bank and guarantee their support for the future. But all the crops are still en route. And then... You, you hear the horses. Yeah, you hear the horses. Nah! 100%. Yep. <laughs> was that a horse or is that a... That was like a screech. Nay! <laughs> yeah. And, and this is also important too, guys. I forgot to mention this with the gold there. Randall Tarly is with them, meaning he actually he flipped the sides and he decided to follow Jamie and Cersei Randall oh, Tarly, definitely. right? So that's something that we need, we need to bring up, but, uh, and, but yeah. then all you hear is you hear the name of the Kalasar and they're like, hold the line, hold the line, dude. And what does bronze say? Oh man. That was oh, dead on. Yeah, right. He's like, they're going to fucking swamp us. Literally. Yo, dude, straight up, bro. I was like, oh, shit. Bronson said that. Like, they're going to fucking swamp us. This scene is gorgeous. Oh, it is cloudy. so good. Oh, it, so you see good. the entire valley, and you see all the Kalasar just overline the outline surrounding all the Lannisters. And then as the Kalasar are stampeding just like the fucking Lion King down the hill, good, good who do you yeah, see flying Ooh. over them? Did you see like Drogon come forward straight forward? Oh man! And bro, like I'm sure you probably like depicted the whole battle in your own way. I know you probably did, <laughs> but I'm gonna go through my shit go first for it. because go like for it. this is the main thing. <laughs> Danny, Josh knows me too well. <laughs> Danny and the Dothraki fuck them up, and this is important because what happens? Danny just showed that she could beat both Randall Tarly and Jamie Lannister in the field of battle. Two of the most respected and best military commanders in Westeros, she fucked them both up at the same time. She destroyed all of their crops, everything they took from Highgarden except the gold. She made it a point to destroy every wagon and every line of defense that they had with Drogon's fire. So they, they've got the gold, but they've got nothing else from Highgarden at all, which is huge. Um... And then, so I know you're probably gonna go through the battle, and I'll let you do that in a second. I'm gonna finish up how this how this episode. <laughs> I love ends. how he assumes. <laughs> I, I I just know him. I I know him for a long time, right? So, <laughs> Bronn loses his big bat of bag of gold, and he just lets that shit run. Like this Dothraki guy just wanted Bronn's head for some reason. It was he like he was ready head hunting for Bronn specifically. But anyways, Bronn ends up getting into this big wagon underneath the flap. The Dothraki opens it. And Bronn has a scorpion locked and loaded and just launches it into this motherfucker. Like straight up God of War style fighting the Megator in the uh, in that big castle. At the very end, if you guys remember ever playing God of War, launching it to its heart against the thing. He just is dead immediately. And then he, he reloads and catches Drogon in the shoulder with the scorpion as well. And then lastly, before I let Chase take over here... What I was trying to tell everybody since season one, suicidal Jamie runs straight at Danny, <laughs> trying to trying to make it you happen. Idiot. And, and Bron, fucking idiot. Bron makes the save of a century. So Chase, I'll let you. That was a quote. Take it away. 
No, I mean, I think Josh hit the nail on the head. I mean, the biggest thing I was going to say is as Danny's flying over that scene and you see the entire Kalasar under her, you hear one iconic quote as she's flying over the Lannister army about to incinerate their ass to smithereens. Drakaris! Yep. Dude, that's your favorite quote from me. That's your, that's your thing. I'm not gonna tell him what that is, but like, yeah, you love the cars, bro. I'll say that. Yeah, I'll man. say that. <laughs> the entire that means dragon fire, by the way. But nice. That literally the entire army is incinerating in flames. You're ah, like the Dude, screams are completely burning. You're seeing the smoke, the fire, the ashes. You see everything. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, literally, what was so great about this battle was it put. It was one of the first battles besides Battle of the Bastards that put you in that first person view. Yes, and you have that first person view of Braun, just like you were saying as the dothraki was chasing him mm-hmm. and he's cutting down people left his back through remember when you were mentioning when i had to go grab something about yeah. Braun and his gold and how much money meant to him he left that fucking bag alone bro <laughs> exactly. he left that shit he left ah, left. fuck that i don't even want this shit bro literally ashes everywhere yeah. this was the scene i still remember it was i still remember watching it when it premiered i was like holy shit this is visually stunning, and I was screaming at the TV because what happens, just like you said, when Braun gets that fucking scorpion and shoots? First time, when Jamie says noose, all the arrows go up to straight to Drogon. They hit his shoulder, he glances off to the not, side, not they even his shoulder, off. actually. He opens up his belly because he's got that big plate of scales on his belly. That little, that little part between right. his neck, and it bounces off all that, and none of the arrows do any damage. Nothing. Yeah. And over and over, he's like, hold the line, hold the line, and they can't hold the line. She's taking out the train, she's taking out all the gold, all their money is gone. No, no, the money's through. The money's through. Well, the crops the and the wagons. harvest. Yeah, the crops, crops and the harvest, the harvest what's going to feed them through the war exactly. is gone. Gone. Yeah. So the gold is there, because he's already yeah, They went through the King's Landing, yes. Right. So as Drogon is falling down, this is completely visually stunning, though. Imagine the free fall, and Danny is shocked at this point because nothing has hit her dragons yet, especially Drogon, the biggest one, and it's hit him. Braun aims right for it and hits him in the left wing, and he's free fall. Shoulder between the wing and the neck. Right? Yeah, like between the wing that, yeah. and the neck. So yeah, and he's yeah. like ah. Like yeah. that sounded like a dying cat. It was <laughs> close enough. I, 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 I would try to challenge anyone to try to sound like a dying dragon. Ah! I, bet, I bet you can. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Literally, like screeching down yeah. as he's free falling, and when he did, gets to the ground, you know, just like you're saying, Danny is trying to sit there and pull it out, and Tyrion is looking at him from over the hill. Don't do it, you fucking idiot. Yeah. Fucking idiot. And yeah. the Dothraki is even saying, you know. Your people don't, can't fight. Yeah, your can't people fight. can't fight. And because it's a slaughter, it's a slaughterhouse. fucking sleigh fest, is what you would slaughterhouse say. in the building. It is a Halo Three sleigh fest, baby. Yeah, baby. And then they're running at Danny, Tyrion's. You idiot! You fucking idiot! And Drogon, what happens? Breathes that huge fucking breath of flame right straight and at Jamie as he's on the horse running right at her with the spear yep. and then what happens Bronn makes a save of a fucking century bro he was running on his horse and jumped off it and just if you ever watched WWE who has the best spear tackle of all time edge he performed his best edged spear right off into Jamie he put his shoulder <laughs> right into his stomach and drove him right into the damn lake that shit was badass and that was literally 
the end of the episode. Yeah, all you, you see saw. him coming down, falling into the water. Like, dude, what a great move that was. I just, dude, the, my favorite thing is when Bron, when Bron's like, they're gonna fucking swamp us. Like, fucking swamp oh, us. dude, they were just ready to die, man. I mean, even Jamie said at one point, go get the scorpion. And he said, Bron says, why don't you go get it? Yeah, dude, he didn't want nothing to do he with it. He said, I only got one hand. Which kind of shouts out again, our guy that we keep talking about, Euron Greyjoy. This guy's got something because Bronn tried to shoot a dragon and only caught it in the shoulder. I'm not going to ruin anything. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, dude, Euron is something special, guys. Like, this is what we need to realize. He looks like a fucking stupid idiot because of the casting mishap here. But, man, in the, in the books and how he's acting, like, he, his actions are great in the show. Definitely need a new character, the casting. But Which I want to bring this up because I thought this would have been awesome if Benninghoff and Wise did this. Because, as we know, you know, our boy is going to live through this thing. Um, which I mean, I don't want to say who it is. I know you're talking about. Yeah, I won't. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell you. But wouldn't it be insane if the scorpion was poison? Yeah, pretty cool. Like, think of that. You know, Drogon. Yeah, he has a couple of wounds, just like he did in season five. Which Kyburn, I always say, (laughs) Kyburn said. You know, they're vulnerable. If they're vulnerable, they can be. But then. You know, they find out their real vulnerability. If that was the theory for a while, what if the scorpion was poison and Drogon died off a couple episodes later? How screwed up would that be? Because you'd be like, this is our, f- let's be real, Danny's favorite. Right. Yeah. You, well, our that's, favorite. that's the thing. That's the thing is like, you, like you, we all knew that. And I, and I do, guys, I promise you, I'm not just talking out of my ass here. When I was watching Game of Thrones, I was like, this is what's going to happen. Somehow, her two... I didn't know how they were going to die, but I knew her two dragons yeah. were going to die. And it was just going to be Drogon, because just like Aegon and his Blaryon, that's the only one you hear about in the lore. So I knew for a fact, like, there's no other two people riding. Like, his sisters rode the other dragons. Like, Aegon's sisters rode the other dragons right. way back 300 years ago. So I was like, dude, somehow these other dragons are going to die, and it's going to be Danny and Drogon. We're doing really good on so, timing, by the way. Yeah, we are snailing it. But, um, what Snail I, it! Snailing it! But what I was saying is, wouldn't it be insane? What if Drogon died and the other two lived? Bro, like that. It would throw everybody it off. It would throw me off. I wouldn't have seen it. I it would seen be it if Drogon died because that shit was poison. It yeah. would everyone. We wouldn't even and, know. And, what it, to and do. it would almost be like almost like a very. It'd be a stretch to say a full circle. But I remember uh, Balerion, he died. Be, like, well, he didn't die because of the the um, Think of infestation the worms, of the worms. Like he was but still. He was an outside source, like like a, like a poison killing it. Like that'd be interesting. So yeah, I definitely think that'd be pretty dope, man. But I think I, I'm yeah. with you. I have nothing to say about that. Like I'm cool. with you. Making good timing. What about? Yeah. Uh, so we go into episode snag five. Into here. episode five. Yeah, two more. And I know we obviously we see Jamie and Bronn survive that whole thing. Jamie or Bronn pulls Jamie up. And this is one of my favorite my favorite uh, quotes. My, my top five favorite quotes from Braun. He goes, dragons are where our partnership ends. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> it's like, over. Uh-uh. Like, yo, I fight for gold. I fight for myself. But, uh-uh, man, dragons? Because, uh, like, what Jamie says, like, don't you mean we're fucked? He's like, nope, dragons are where our partnership ends, my man. I'm sorry. DB Wise so, made a really awesome point here when I watched in the after episodes. He said a dragon is like bringing an F-16 fighter pilot 
to a damn medieval war. Yeah, 100%. that's exactly what it is. An Apache helicopter, just yeah. Absolutely except not. in the words of Ted, except an Apache <laughs> Apache helicopter. An Apache helicopter is an all-out war machine. Yeah, hundred percent. Yep. And so what happens next? Uh, we're we're back with Daenerys here. And she gives the enemy army the choice of bending the knee to her or dying. And Randall Tarley refuses her. And basically, like, I'm sure you, you got some quotes from that. Yeah, of course yeah, I go do. Tackle it. Because I, I didn't write any only quotes. I, well, I, yeah, the biggest you. thing I have here, which is actually a really important point. Tyrion, going back to what we were saying, he sticks up for his family so many times. Mm-hmm. And he tries to convince. Well, the Tarleys aren't really his family, but... I, well... Like, Dick on a big house. Well, he, what, he, what he wants to do is he wants as least as many people to die as possible. He's an idealistic kid, but at the end of the day, we know what war is about. Yeah. So and tackle, Danny tackle says here, stands over the entire crowd, and Drogon is completely screeching and roaring at this point over the crowd. <laughs> Take a shot. Take a shot. It reminded me of almost like the Lion King. Like Drogon is literally roaring like Simba. And I know yeah. My boy Josh, big Lion King guy, guys. Biggest Before Lion King. Before we had like our, our shirts that we have here, I'll wear my uh, Starry Night Mufasa shirt. Mufasa is my favorite. Biggest uh, Disney character. I'm telling you, like we both have very strong ties to Disney, and he is the biggest Lion King fan I've ever met. And one day, maybe like if we do like one of those TikTok videos, I'll show you guys my room. It's I have a three foot tall stuffed animal of Mufasa that's not a joke it's not an exaggeration it's literally three foot tall and all of my like, I have a full cork board like half of the like it's I'm not going to bore you with the details but like I if you all are interested in it I'll for sure throw it up on one of our social media pages all of the shit that's in my Do room it. lying you game. have but to I like the alliteration to Drogon on the top yeah. of it, like a pride rock type thing yeah yep I got you but um Danny at this point she gives this amazing monologue and it goes to show you know she's not a tyrant completely yet and she says take a shot take a shot completely (laughs) i know what cersei has told you that i've come to destroy your cities burn down your homes murder your orphan children that's cersei lannister not me i'm not her a murderer and all i want to destroy is the wheel that has rolled over the rich and the poor to the benefit of no one but Cersei Lannisters of the world, I offer you a choice. Bend the knee and join me. Together we will leave the world a better place than we found it or refuse and die. This is in English, not Dothraki, by the way, because there's a reason for that. Lannister spoke English. But a few bend the knee at this point, and then Drogon roars. Like, I'm talking Mufasa roars. Most of the entire army bends the knee at that point. Yeah, except a couple motherfuckers. <laughs> Who are those motherfuckers? First one's Randall Tarley, and then his son, Dickon. Uh, he doesn't bend the knee either. But Randall Tarley, you start to see that like, he actually cares about Dickon, which is sad because he never cared about Sam at all. Um, but he says, he's just a foolish boy. He's a stupid boy. Like, don't listen to him. But uh, he ends up standing with his father for what he thinks is right. And Tyrion tells me, you know, listen, like a couple, a couple weeks in the black cell, that makes them change. That'll make them change their mind. It, it does, it does good for people's heads. And then Daenerys looks at him, he's like, I let them make a choice, and they made it. Yeah. And she fucking had Drogon burn their asses to a crisp. And, and everyone else in that army 
Kneeled quickly. Kneeled, kneeled your ass. <laughs> and I wrote this down. It was three times Tyrion tried to stick for him. Tyrion said the first time, perhaps he could take the black, your grace. Whatever else he is, he is a soldier. He would be invaluable at the wall. So like, but then Randall Tarly fucked that up. Exactly. Randall Tarly's like, no, you, you're not my queen. You can't command me to go right. to the wall. Yeah. And that was describing a cell at yeah. that point. Uh, the second time, he said, you are the future of your house. The war has already wiped out one great house from the world. Don't let it happen again. A bend the knee. And then the third time over here, Tyrion says, your grace, nothing scrubs bold notions from a man's head like a few weeks in a cell. And he pleads this final time in the same sentence, your grace, if you stop beheading entire families. And Danny says, I'm not beheading anyone. And that's when you're like, oh, shit. Like, shit's about to go down. Yeah. And what happens is Randall and Dickon are lined up right in front of Drogon and she says that famous line, Dracarys. Burns them to dust. Actual dust. <laughs> like, <so>. Ash. <laughs> Literally nothing. Yeah. I hope you like cremation, boys. Yeah. You about to get it. It's crazy. And so, uh, yeah, uh, Jamie. So now we go back to King's Landing, and Jamie arrives there. And him and Cersei are going back and forth. And Jamie's trying to tell her, like, yo, bro, like, we're going to fucking lose this. Like, we just faced those dragons in open battle and the Dothraki. Like, we we got our asses kicked. So, like, I don't know what you're thinking. But whatever you're thinking, like, it ain't going to work. We're losing this shit. But then, and then so, uh, basically, she kind of makes fun of him. Like, you know, you know you're, you're, um, you're letting us get, like, outsmarted and outplayed by uh, a, a, a foreign dragon queen and your own little brother. And at that point in time, who killed your own little brother who killed our father and our son? And Jamie finally tells Cersei that Olena was the one that killed Joffrey. And just to go to show this, like how much Jamie was shooken up by this to try to get through Cersei, and I still don't even think she believes him at this point. He says, I just saw the Dothraki fight. They will be any army I've ever seen. Killing our men <laughs> wasn't wasn't for them it was a sport her dragon burnt a thousand wagons kyburn scorpion fired bolts bigger than you they couldn't stop it and she has three of them this isn't a war we can win yeah and that was it like he is keep in mind and this was the guy yes he has only one hand now but was the greatest swordsman in westeros at one point like he's seen a lot of shit yeah, he was he he had because I remember like back in season one when Tywin was kind of talking down to Tyrion like your brother's been painting glory all over the country. So yeah, you're right. Like he was he was one of the greatest swordsmen period um, at the time. But the thing that I I took away from this is that so he tells Cersei that Olenna is the one that killed Joffrey. Now she knows Tyrion's innocent and she doesn't give a shit. Yeah, like like straight up. And uh, so, but things that she's mad about is she's mad that they didn't torture Olena before they killed her. Right. Like, like that's what you're worried about. Like, you're a psycho. Regardless. Anyways, we go back to the Dragonstone, and Jon Snow finds the balls to pet this big ass dragon. Like, he slowly puts his hand up, <laughs> takes and, like, off his glove. Yeah, just like touches it, which like we start to see like, hmm, like is this is this like uh, foreshadowing a little bit? Like, because 
dragons aren't supposed to be friendly with anyone other than their mother, right? So we don't really know what that's all about. Uh, but Dan Daenerys is certainly impressed. And then in all caps, look what I have here. Jorah returns to Danny and she accepts his service. Oh, the After, friend zone yeah, is among it, you. The thing is, is she's his most trusted advisor and now she she's said, got him back. How was Bed Bath & Beyond? Did you pick up a gift card while you were there? Man, so I was <laughs> super, super excited to see Jorah re-enter her service and you know that was just something that happened real completely quick. She, sir jora you will never that's sleep a shot with me that's a shot <laughs> completely another shot but uh <laughs> so that that's what happens there she he asks a pleasure service and she accepts it which is nice so now all the water is under the bridge for him trying to conspire against her years ago fantastic yay we're all happy right so now we go back to bran and he sees the army of the dead on the move and he has the maester at Winterfell send a raven to the citadel, and the citadel doesn't take it seriously. Do you have any quotes or anything on that? I'm sure. Actually, this is funny because we were looking this up earlier. This is deals with John hopping on the back of Rhaegal. Okay. Really quick. Uh, Hasn't happened yet. That uh, big big spoiler alert, guys. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, our fault. I just want to let you know. So, dragon rider history. So there actually is one dragon rider in Valyria, which is really cool. Which ties into other things. Uh, and it actually is a, a dragon named Sea Smoke. He was one of the first dragons. Uh, the Pride. He was described of the Pride of Valyria. Um, and the rider was Lenor Valyrian, who was the first husband of Rhaenys Targaryen. But um, just keep remembering, you know, their flag was kind of like the seahorse. He was uh, very actually small, ironically, um, and kind of actually looked more, almost like more ocean-like, like blue kind of thing. Uh, and, you know, they just thought it was very ironic. They thought he was, he really wasn't like a powerful dragon. So I just thought that was pretty interesting for what's to come. Gotcha. Yeah. Side note, Malice in the Chalice card burned. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Malice in the chill. And we got are hey. summoned by the Malice Guards. You know what happens when we summon the card? Malice in the chalice. Mm. Send that shit to the Shadow Realm. Dilly dilly, off to the Shadow Realm with you. Fuck That's me. why we have those cards, though. They love the cards, man. Big, big, Great. big, big ideas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. we go back, we see the army of the dead on the move, they send a raven to the citadel, the citadel doesn't take it seriously. I was asking, did you have any quotes like from the citadel about them like going back and forth about it, or did you not put, because I didn't put them down, because I didn't think they were important to like the plot line, but did you uh, put them down? I write down almost every quote. And... Yeah, dude, that's not that important. Like Basically, they, they laugh it off, like, like Sam tries to tell me, listen, I've seen the army of the dead myself, like, they're not lying, like, if this is what's being said, you guys need to take it seriously. Actually, I do. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Of course I do. I have a, actually one big one. Nail it, brother. Um, I put uh, kind of the way I do my notes, guys, so you guys have an idea because it's so big. I walked out with a notebook where Josh walked out with, what, seven pages? Yeah. I put, like, thought bubbles and stuff, like what they possibly could be thinking. But um, basically what I put here was... Actually, I lied. It's not even a quote. 
Yeah, but basically, you know, the Archmaester was describing on how they heard these things. And what I was putting was, you know, why are they hearing about these so late? True. Good point. Like, these things have been stuff that's going on. Like, like remember when GR Mormon had them saving the Ravens? Like, it, it was crazy. So, I just... I think that's when Sam started to have a disconnect in the Citadel because he's telling them, listen, they're not lying. I saw them myself. I fought them myself. Like, I literally said, you're going to laugh at this. It wasn't a quote. I thought it was a quote. It said, why the fuck didn't they just use Goku's instant transmission (laughs) to send a message there? Right. (laughs) Which we'll talk about why we say that here in a little bit. (laughs) Goku um, on the left, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about why we say this in transmission. Like, there's actually a point because we get very frustrated by the writing here in this short amount of time. So, yeah, I lied. I but, thought it was uh, a quote. It was actually about Dragon Ball Z. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. But um, we we actually get we get taken back to Tyrion and uh, Varys talking about Daenerys and her decision to burn the um, the Tarleys, and Tyrion tells Varys, "I am her hand." not her head. I can't make her decisions for her. And Varys responds, you need to find a way to make her listen. Guys, these quotes, I, we can come up with them all the time, but these are stuff that's building up, showing Daenerys' true nature and what she's been building up for this entire series of A Song of Ice and Fire. What else do you have on that? Or that was No, that's exactly it, right? what I had. I mean... You know, we can show you guys ever since, you know, we started this in January. Yeah. This is foreshadowing, foreshadowing, foreshadowing. The th- in the end, I get it. It didn't end the way you wanted it to end. But, but that was coming. That was coming. Whether it could have been glorified to all men, all ends meet if George wrote that ending. But in the end, they did exactly what they planned to do to do talking about plans now going back to it Tyrion comes up with a plan to have john well to have them specifically like them as a generality bring back a white to cersei so she can see and believe by the way can we talk about that who decided with that fucking plan you decide to pull a mission impossible out of your ass and i get it though times i could i could fucks with that because like how else are you gonna get like even Danny said, like you had, like later on, she's like, you don't really believe it until you see it. Like well, you need to show Cersei so that way, because the whole point was to have her commit an armistice. Like, hey, you don't like uh, advance and attack our army. We won't fuck with you. We need to take care of the real, the real enemy. Which goes to prove my point of what you were saying. They should. They did this ass hat backwards. 100%. 100%. Like if they had gotten past the wall and attacked. Uh, you know, if she Bro, had they couldn't even King's gotten past first. the wall. Yeah, like, like, like we'll talk about that shortly. Like ridiculous. seriously, we're coming up on it here pretty soon. But um, ass hat backwards, and then if you did it the other way, Cersei wouldn't have even had to be proven that you came out. You came out of this. You decided to pull a Grand Theft Auto out of your ass, Benninghoffen wise. We're not happy, as you can see. But anyways. Uh, so they come up with a plan to go beyond the wall, and so to get to grab him with one small but retinue. So Tyrion will meet with Jaime to convince Cersei of the meeting, and Davos will smuggle Tyrion into King's Landing. And so at this point in time, Jorah tells uh, Danny that he will be one to go, and she's like, "You know what? You just came back into my service." He's like, "Well, I came back to serve you. Let me serve you." And at this point, John tells them to everyone's dismay that he will go. 
which is really important guys because every step of the way like i was mentioning to you earlier in this episode john is a good leader he's always willing to put himself in harm's way to save his people he doesn't care and that's why his people love and follow him because he is a leader of men because he will do exactly what he asks of others to do and so that's why i thought that was really important because everyone sees john loves and cares for his people and he what he tell danny you i trusted in you a stranger and now i'm asking you to trust me a stranger do you have those quotes yeah, I do. Do you want to read Nail it? it? Nope, this, take it. I don't, sure? I don't have them. Take it. So Danny says, I didn't give you permission. Really throwing your power around again. And John says, with all respect, your grace. How do you say the English? Or did the accent. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have it. Josh would be great at saying this quote. I don't need your permission. I am king. I am came here knowing that you could have your men behead me or your dragons burn me alive. I put my trust in you, a stranger, because I knew it was the best chance for my people, for all of our people. Now I'm asking you to trust a stranger because it is our best chance. Josh would have been 100% on that. I, 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 I can't. I can't <laughs> do the little accent. accent. I can do some of them. Shit. I can do John Snow's. I can I can do a couple of them, but John Snow's is tough for me because it's not quite English. Only. It's like, only <laughs> it's yeah. it's tough like exactly it's like a it's like a rough like mountain like growl with an english accent at the same time and i can't pull it off by the way this like, was kit harrington's first role it's fantastic uh, pretty awesome um but, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> he stands up to danny which and everyone can see and even danny respects at this point you see in her face like damn this man really loves yeah. and cares for his people like you know what like and that's exactly why what happens in season eight, like people are split on their loyalties because they, they both these people care about their people, but only one is willing to go on the front lines and do what he asks of others. So yeah. I'll put that out there. Anyway, Sansa is approached by Jan Royce and, and Glover about possibly making her queen. This is some fucked up dirty ass shit. Like we put our trust in John, so maybe we made a mistake. Like their loyalties are like like that's how dirty like these trash. Like, such trash. Like think of that too. If you oppose, if you dude, put in all, contrast, like weeks ago, we're chanting King in the North to Jon Snow. They're like, wait, well Jon's not here. Well, since Jon's not here, and we don't know if he's coming back. Maybe we made a mistake. You know what? Uh, you know what, Sansa? Maybe you should rule. Since Jon's here, not here. Let's fuck his girlfriend. Like, like <laughs> yeah, what's his girlfriend. I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> no. That's their loyalty. But my uh, point is, is Think of the difference between Danny and John. Like Danny's people are so loyal to her despite what even happens. John's people are like, screw it, he's gone. Let's do our own shit. Like yeah, a food fight Sansa in the cafeteria. May, maybe you should be ruler, right? So anyways, Arya confronts Sansa and they get real icy with each other. Do you have any of those quotes? I didn't write them down because I didn't think they were important, but I'm I'm a s no I didn't have that. No worries. Yeah. So Regardless, like they have a back and forth words with each other, it's not friendly. Like it's super icy, right? And now we go over to Sir Davos. He smuggles Tyrion into King's Landing, and Bronn tricks Jamie into meeting Tyrion by saying they've got to go train. And uh, when they were going down there, he's like, "I don't think you want people to see until you're ready with the other hand." She's like, "Well, he's like, well, I didn't see you doing a very good job out there." He's like, "With sense, that's the reason why I want to train too." They bring him over into the the dungeon, like the little. I don't know if it's the dungeons, but it's the, it's the very bottom of the castle, or whatever. And um, all of a sudden, you see Tyrion approach, and 
Braun looks at like looks at both of them. He's like, "Well, I'll leave you to it." And Jamie is feels so betrayed that John or not John that uh, that Braun just brought him face to face with his brother, who he swore what he say. He said, "I told my I told everyone the next time I saw you, I was gonna cut you in half." Yeah, like like straight up. So, do you have anything on that? I love how Josh thinks I have every quote. Not, not, about, not even a quote. Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even talking about quotes this time. Like, like talk, talk, talk to me about like what you think about that interaction between Tyrion and Jamie. Uh, I mean, that was pretty much it. Was it was, you know, Jamie is pretty much. It's almost like you can see him. I don't want to say broken, but pissed because of Tywin. Yeah, he's like he's that for sure was upset. Like, you killed our father. Tywin. Yeah, like you killed our fucking father. And uh, it almost catches him off guard because Tyrion mentions, you know, you outsmarted me when you took Casterly Rock. Yeah. Yeah. So you were three steps ahead. He said yeah. you were three steps ahead. Yeah. And that's pretty much what I had on that. Yeah. So they, they talk back and forth and basically Tyrion is letting Jamie know, listen, there's no way you're going to win this war. You know that. Like, like. We need. He tells Tyrion, "He's like, if you want to tell Cersei, you go bend the knee. You go fucking tell her yourself. Yeah, like, you know, it's, it's it's just like a back and forth thing. But like, Tyrion is basically just tries to convince Jamie. Listen, just have Cersei sit down with us. We'll all talk about this because like you don't understand what's coming, right? So um, after that's all done, Sir Davos he goes down the flea bottom to the Street of Steel and he finds Gendry, who's been there <laughs> since Sir Davos helped him escape from Stannis in the dungeons like four seasons ago." Like maybe five, maybe maybe not a force, maybe three seasons ago, but uh, he's been there at this Street of Steel for that long, right under Cersei's nose. Still one of Robert Baratheon's bastards that she doesn't even know about. And I love how you said that because that's actually a big moment in here. Is Gendry even says it's been a long time, and Sir Davos, you can really get the sense he's getting old because he says nothing fucks you harder than time. Yep. 100 <laughs> yeah. percent he's, he's, like, he's like you weren't worried about being seen he's like dude i haven't been here in years like I, i'm not worried about being seen <laughs> yeah and so it's it's funny because like sir davos like is ready to give him one of his special sir davos's speech to like get him pumped up to join them he doesn't even have to like the first time he mentions like well we're gonna need and Gendry picks up his up like ready to go <laughs> he's ready to go immediately it's so, uh here's uh, the question yeah. though why did Sir Davos even bother to take his time to go get Gendry? Do you think he really just felt that connected to wanted to see Gendry again? No, uh, I I think that he thought because remember Gendry is one of the one of the best blacksmiths like in King's Landing, okay. if not the world, and they know that they're gonna need to, to forge new weapons out of this dragon glass that they've been see, trying. That to get. makes complete so sense. So he's like he's like, dude, I mean, we're gonna need someone who like who better than you know Gendry? To get Gendry yeah, right. Okay, that makes so, sense. That's what so I, I it wasn't was. just oh let's just fucking show up and grab yeah, Gendry because no. it was an old no. reminisce. He, he knew that they're <laughs> yeah. gonna need to make the weapons that John was talking about when they mined the dragon yeah. glass. And Otherwise, no you better. bring back Dario. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. For exactly. sure. Yeah. So and this is funny because I actually do have this quote because Davos tells Gendry, "Keep your father's name to yourself. The situation's complicated enough already." That's <laughs> which awesome. is hilarious because I'm gonna great. tell you guys in about like three or four sentences what actually happens after that and i didn't have but, that uh, quote like that like like we always say yeah. me and josh just josh and notes. i take notes separate notes and they complement each other so for sure and so the i was actually funny now because now we we're talking about the gold company and you always want to say gold cloaks but right now the gold <laughs> cloaks are the ones yeah. that stop davos 
And basically, he he's a sly dog, man. He th- comes up with this big story about having fermented crab, which is supposed to be like an aphrodisiac, where like it's <laughs> Viagra. like Viagra. It's one hundred percent. It's Viagra. He's like he tells him that you know once you once you take a, a pinch full of this, you're back in the race, right? Instead of going home to your family, you're your lady of the hour. He called it the lady of the hour. You know, you're back in the race. So and that's what something that they they get to both took a pinch of it, and he makes a joke about you know poking a hole in their armor down there. But um, I, I thought that was funny. But they let him go until Tyrion arrives. And when Tyrion arrives, he starts walking the thing. He tries to, like, hide himself. Because, like, he realizes he comes at the absolute worst time. He tries to, like, think about walking back towards there. And he's like, I, fuck, I can't. So he just decides to keep his head down and walk through. And then the guy's like, yo, where'd you get that scarf from, dwarf? Like, 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 and then uh, it's like the fishing accident, whatever. And anyways, the Gold Cokes really kind of realize, hey, you know what? Like, this is the dwarf that we've been looking for for a couple of years. And, you know, we're going to take him in. And then Gendry shows his worth with his battle hammer and fucks him up. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, literally smashes that one dude in the face. Tell him about it. Like, puts him down. Uh, And then, you know, and then they sail off in their little canoe. They're going to canoe their ass. Yep, there's. And that takes us back to Jamie. He tells Cersei about the meeting with Tyrion. She already knew, which is pretty crazy. He said, nothing happens in this city without me knowing about it. But she does agree to the, the meeting with Danny. She think it might be in our immediate interest to do that. Uh, and then Cersei reveals, guys, and this is big here. Listen to me. Cersei reveals that she's pregnant and tells Jamie, never betray me again. Yep. And that's a huge foreshadow because yeah, of what happens huge. here. Which, which, you know, what? It's the debate. Like, is that really uh, betrayal at this point in time? Like, anyway, regardless. Ultimate betrayal. Regardless, like, so it's funny. Now, when I, like I told you, I promised you guys, I would get to this. Gendry and Davos arrive at Dry back at Dragonstone. Gendry immediately goes up to Jon Snow, says, "Hi, my name is Gendry. I'm Robert ba- Baratheon's bastard." Like, it's like immediately, like after, like Davos told me, "You don't, hey, listen." Don't talk about your father. The situation is complicated. We don't need any other future possible. Could have been kings, bastard of kings, like children. Like, and he's like, you're, you are Clo- you're, you're Clovis. That's it. You're Clovis. He's like, all right, cool. I got it. Yeah, Jon Snow. My name's Gendry. I'm the son of Robert Baratheon. <laughs> like immediately, yeah, exactly. fuck you, Davos. It's so funny, man. <laughs> uh, so, and then Davos is like, oh, he was meant to keep that to himself. But, anyways, uh, basically, Jon asks him like, hey, are you like, are you any good? He's like, he can handle himself. Uh, Davos puts it back in his, in his head because Gendry said he doesn't wield a sword. And John's like, well, you're not going to be any help. He's like, well, I've become used to a hammer. And then and Davos sticks up for him and he says, well, he can handle himself. And then it's friend zone time, baby. Yeah. Ready for some friend zone? It's Tell bed back. It. He came back with all the bed sheets. All the bed sheets and the candles you can have. Tell him about it, my man. And Danny says... Come back to oh now Tyrion says come back to us our queen needs you. Mister Jorah shows up. Yes, sir. Oh, big dirty, <laughs> big dirty Jorah, <laughs> all clean and clear, cleansed of the COVID nineteen, <laughs> aka oh. the, the grayscale, the yeah, grayscale, aka the grayscale. Um, so he comes back and of course Danny is completely delighted. Never shot. gonna, never gonna fuck him. Shot. Never gonna get his fuck on. You know what I'm saying? But Ain't knowing that, <laughs> this is the part where John, Jorah, and Gendry they all leave Dragonstone to go beyond the wall. Exactly. And Jorah is completely delighted. Shot. <laughs> delighted. Literally, like, 
looks back at Danny and looks at John, and he's sitting there kind of thinking, are you getting your fuck on with John? Yeah, he, he for sure was a jealous. <laughs> he's starting to see like a little connection between Danny and John, and he's not happy about it. That's for sure. Yeah. But then we kind of go back to the Citadel. Yes, this and this is super, super, super important, guys. Gilly and Sam are in the Citadel. And Gilly has given Sam useless facts, like how many steps were on the Sept of Baylor, like how many like shits the guy took throughout the day. She's given him stupid facts. But here's the thing, is she ends up giving him one of the most important pieces of information in this entire series of A Song of Ice and Fire. Can I read this quote real quick? I thought it was really funny. Do your thing, yeah, what you got? These maesters, they set me on the task of presenting the men's widow counting. In the annulets and bowel movements of the all-eternity while the secret of defeating the Night King probably sitting on the same dusty shelf somewhere completely ignored? But that's alright, isn't it? We can all become the shavering, murderous imbeciles and thrall to the evil incarnate as long as we have access to the full records of the High Septon Manners at 15,782 shits. Like literally 15,782 15, shits. Sam is losing it. At and it's this funny because because like Gilly doesn't understand the fact he's being sarcastic because she's a wall and she goes, no steps. It wasn't it wasn't shits he was talking about it was steps. Like think about this. <laughs> if your girlfriend is asking you about all these things about, hey, you know, I really took time to clean the house today. You got to do this, this and this. And then you're so focused on your job. You're all you're thinking about is, hey, I have this huge project coming up that I'm gonna present to the board. But your wife or your girlfriend over and over and over is like, hey, you know, I just wanted you to know I really cleaned the house. Or I really took time to look at all these other things today, and I bought furniture and all this shit. And then all of a sudden he's like, you know, all I really want to do is I'm trying to focus on my job right now. That's exactly what Sam is doing at this point. Uh, well, the thing is, like, Gilly was there to help him look through the stuff and, like, help him translate and transcribe the the documents. So I don't think that. I think he was very frustrated with the fact that the that they had him doing that task to begin with more than he got frustrated with her just bringing up the... Which at the um, same time, though, she's, like, almost, because, like, nagging him, but you feel bad for Gilly. Because here's the thing is, like, she gives him the most important piece of information that maybe has been told to anybody, Yeah. if you guys don't remember. She really does. So she asks Sam what an annulment is, and Sam responds, it's when a man sets aside his lawful wife. And Gilly responds, well, Maester Maynard recorded that he issued an annulment to Prince Rhaegar and remarried him to someone else at the same time in a secret ceremony in Dorne. And Sam doesn't even realize what he just learned. That is huge. It's the biggest, it's the biggest moment. Absolutely like, huge. Biggest moment of the entire season, I would say. Yeah, like exactly. So, which doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, which ends up not mattering. Yeah, like fuck it. Like they're no gonna throw that shit out the window, really. right? Yeah, unbelievable. But, but uh, Sam winds up leaving the Citadel and taking Gilly before before he leaves. He gets fed up and goes to the restricted section that he wasn't allowed to, and steals as many books and scrolls as he can before he leaves the Citadel. There you go. Yeah, yeah which is important. But um, yeah, I think this part next, Arya. She pulls her little sneaky sneak on and follows Baelish to his quarters and sees Maester Walken give him a scroll and Baelish hides it and leaves. And so Arya goes in and picks the lock and enters the room and searches for the scroll and finds it inside the mattress. And Chase, do you want to tell him what that scroll was? Yeah, and uh, the scroll actually read, 
Which you had a, I loved your point you were telling me about earlier before, you know, right now we're recording this episode. Um, I think Arya knows almost like Baelish is watching her, but at the same time, you had a really good point on Sansa earlier. And, you know, this is great. You know, I do want to say right on the podcast, me and Josh are best friends. Like, we've been best friends for a long time um, for everyone out there. And it's funny. We come up with these uh, (laughs) Disney, (laughs) these different perspectives, but we can almost see the other side. Mm -hmm. Um, And but one thing, you know, the letter says it says, Rob, I write to you with a heavy heart. Our good King Robert is dead, killed from wounds he took in a boar hunt. Father has been charged with treason. He conspired with Robert's brothers and against my beloved Joffrey and tried to steal the throne. The Lannisters are treating me very well and I provide me with every comfort. I beg you, come to King's Landing, swear uh, fealty to King Joffrey and prevent any strife between the great houses of Lannisters and Starks. I'm glad you wrote that down, bro. That's awesome. I didn't I didn't even write that down, but it's really important because guys, if you don't remember, that's the note that she was forced to write under Cersei's like like thing. Like just remember she was asking, like, well, I just want to see my father before I write this. And it's like when they're like, Oh, you stupid girl, I thought you were smarter than this. Like they like this is where they took emotionally and mentally manipulated Sansa way back when they took Ned prisoner while he was still alive. Basically held a, a proverbial knife to neck Ned's neck to Sansa's face and said, listen, like you don't write this off. Like your dad could die and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So like, so this is the same thing. Like anyone in her position would have done the same thing. And, but the thing is, is it all starts snowballing up with the fact that the other houses are starting to think maybe they should have named Sansa the queen instead of John. And like the fact that like, you know, she's starting to, she was already arguing with John over how to handle certain things. So like, is it, this is just another like straw on the camel's back, man. And I do want to remind you of this big point. Uh, so that letter that, you know, he was kind of following her. This was found inside a hole in a mattress, which was kind of in the middle of everything. And I do want to remind you in the books, because this plays a big point into a theory I have here. Me personally, it describes him as thin and a rather small man. This is Lord Peter Baelish. Thin and a rather small man. Sharp beard and sharp features with gray, green eyes so think of that as everything is kind of conspiring here in this very very important moment so right here you start to see that that Baelish it was, it was like a double trap we don't know who was trapping who right so Arya is following Peter she found the note she leaves and all of a sudden you see Peter was the one actually making sure that she found the note so Peter was trying to turn them against each other for a minute and so that's the last thing that we see from that part. But now I am upset about this because what in the fuck is this instant transmission Goku ass shit that took <laughs> them from Dragonstone to Eastwatch in four scenes? If you guys remember in season one, and think about this, Dragonstone to Eastwatch is a lot farther than Winterfell to King's Landing. 
It took them four episodes to get from Winterfell to King's Landing, where it took them four damn scenes to get from Dragonstone to Eastwatch. I'm pissed. I don't Literally want, I, teleported. Go ahead. Just tell, teleported I, I'm upset. Ass. Teleported their ass. Um, I do want to say it is the A-team at this point, if you can look up on YouTube. Someone did like a rendition of a funny ass moment it took like the A-Team trailer but it replaced it with John Gendry Sir, Sir Davos and then you had the Hound in there and then you had Sir Beric and his servants which is pretty badass I wouldn't call Thoros his servant but... <laughs> well yeah Thor so here there, there, guys there were, there were seven main ones I was going to wait until we got to that point because I didn't think we were there yet but it, it was uh, <laughs> John the Hound Beric Thoros Jorah Gendry and Tormund those are the, the seven that go beyond the wall. And there's three other ones that are just not important. And just real quick, uh, once again, just to remind you how, you know, Peter Baelish has kind of worked himself up to n- from nothing. Just to show you he's came from nothing, the Mockingbird sigil was... Sigil. Sigil. Sorry, I always say sigil. Uh, pronouncing bad things. <laughs> uh, was literally invented by him he yeah. came from nothing yeah so it's it's very messed up the way he's connived his shit way to the top basically think about this real quick just Bro, real quick realistically he was two deaths away from the iron throne great debate card okay if peter baelish didn't exist would the story be what it is right now no it's not it's not a debate it wouldn't be it would be nothing to how it is number one ned stark would never have been betrayed wouldn't have had him die in the beginning because he would never have been captured. They would have took over the, the, the throne as Robert Baratheon wanted. Ned probably would have raised Joffrey or the next heir to the throne to where the, he needed to be to be the best version of himself as Ned never wanted to be ruler. He was going to be the hand of the king for the people. So Baelish wasn't there to flip the flip on him. And then let's even say like that still ends up happening somehow from somebody else. Baelish never kills Joffrey. Like doesn't conspire with Olena to kill Joffrey, doesn't escape Sansa from King's Landing, doesn't take the Knights of the Vale to help them win the Battle of Bastards. This story is completely different without P- Peter Baelish. Here's another thing, too, is... Here's, here's another point I want to kind of make, is... Yeah, I mean, think about going all the way back into season... Was it season one? When Cersei said, I was trying to think of the season, which took me a moment to pause, is remember when she was reminding Baelish what power power is? is, Power is power. Power is power. Because he said knowledge is power. What if she killed Peter Baelish right there? Then only some of the things would have happened because at that point in time, Ned would still have been dead, um, but Sansa wouldn't have been able to escape. Um, So at the end of the day, I don't know what would have happened from that point on forward. I just know that this and your question was was would the story be the same without Peter? And this would it would be it would be a, an entirely different storyline story arc. His his character influenced many different characters' timelines. So exactly, yeah. I completely agree with you. Okay, moving along. That was a quick ass. That burn. was a quick debate because we both agreed. <laughs> Off to the Shadow Realm. With oh you. yeah, we both agreed on that one. That was Peace. pretty easy. But <laughs> that, I, I don't think we spent enough time fucking really focusing on the fact that how the hell did they just get from Dragonstone teleported? Like, you didn't realize like, this is they the part. Like, it's hyperbolic vision. time chamber, baby. <laughs> right? They were 
train him with Goku and Vegeta up there this, on the fucking right. This is the kind of shit that left. pisses me off because they, they and made it a point to talk about, like, you know, in the beginning, not talk about, but show how long the, the King's Road is from Winterfell to King's Landing. And all of a sudden, in four scenes, they're at, from Dragonstone, which is further south than King's Landing, to Eastwatch, which is further north than Winterfell, farther, the farther distance, but they're there like this. I like the, yes, I get that it's it's a beautiful like the scenes and the beautiful stunning images. At the end of the day, you need a consistent storyline, and that just it really it rubbed me the wrong way that all of a sudden they're just there on the drop of a hat. But yeah, anyways. so we kind of go into a badass episode right here. We're not quite finished yet because I know I talked about we talked about the A team and like who it was and like the seven of them, but before that, we have to realize that the Hound. Beric and Thoros were prisoners of Tormund at Eastwatch first. They had them all in the cage, like like into the prison thing, like, and they were all okay with it. And, and then Jen, I'm sorry, I almost you almost Gendry. messed me up. It's Gendry. <laughs> Gendry, <laughs> it's Gendry. Gendry. So Gendry tells them, tells John, you can't trust them. I was gonna be one of them, and they turned their back on me. You can't trust them, and they're like, well, listen, like we're all on the same side. And Gendry asked, like, how do you know? And he said, because we're all still breathing. And right. then now we have again. Well, I'll I'll put it on it to you guys. We got John, we got the Hound, Beric, Thoros, Jorah, Gendry, and Tormund. That's seven. Uh, they all go beyond the wall. We have that other servant too. Well, there's that? there's three of them. There's three guy. other ones. There's ten yeah, in total. The but we they, we don't like we don't know a thing about them. Yeah, yeah, they're just they're just there to help out. So there's ten in total. But those are our seven quote unquote heroes. And there's three people who don't matter who end up getting fucked anyway. So it don't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, big dirty. <laughs> yeah, you got we got a big little spoiler dirty, alert man. there. So big dirty. But yes, um, that will lead us into our second to last episode episode six where yeah. 10 total go beyond the wall seven of them are main guys and uh yeah um what did you write down first what i talked about was when john and Tormund talked about man's raider did you did you put that as well as what you first took away from that uh i mean i broke down of course i have this battle completely broken down but the the biggest thing i broke down was i love when Tormund was like ginger's a kiss by fire Dude, okay, <laughs> so that's a little bit after. So yeah, that's a little bit after. So I'll go into that. So um, oh, yeah, go grab something. All right, All right something I got you, Doug. So I got this. So Tormund and the John and John were talking about Mance Raider and bending the knee. So basically, what Tormund was saying is he loved Mance Raider, everything he stood for. But at the end of the day, Mance Raider was still he he was burned at the stake by Stannis. Well, John shot the arrow in him and you know, saved his misery. But the end all be all of that was Mance Raider didn't bend the knee because of his pride or not wanting to be a knee. Like that, that's the whole thing. It's like, oh, you spent so much time with the free folk, John Snow. You, you, you don't want to bend the knee anymore. And so basically what he's trying to show John Snow is that, you know what? I was a wild, I am a wildling. But at the end of the day, if your main goal is to save and help as many people as you possibly can. Sometimes the solution isn't the easy one, but it's the right one, is what I took from that. So I thought that was super important. And then the <laughs> what I, the next thing that I've got written down here, which I find super, super funny, is the Hound. He gives Gendry shit for complaining about being sold off to Melisandre. He's, he's telling, like, you know, Going on and on about how 
uh, like the Brotherhood Without Banners have no honor how he wanted to be a part of them and that they just completely screwed him over. Uh, they sold him to the witch. And like it was funny because he starts describing what happens. He's like, yeah, she, she strapped me down to the bed, stripped me completely naked. And the hound's like, well, sounds all right so far, <laughs> which was super funny. I, I like that part. Um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're basically, you know, stop fucking complaining. The hound looks at uh, Barak and Danny and said, and, and this is a quote, this one's been killed six times, and you don't hear him bitching about it. <laughs> so I thought that was super <laughs> funny. Um, but yeah, and then that kind of it pulls us into Jon Snow talking to Jorah Mormont about them getting justice for Gior Mormont, the Lord Commander. Uh, so Jon tries to give Longcott to Jorah, but Jorah refuses it. And this is a quote that I wrote down. I brought shame unto my house. I broke my father's heart. I forfeited the right to claim this sword. It's yours. And that's a big point. And I do want to let people know. Uh, so a lot of people don't know how Jorah brought shame to his house. Uh, real quick, the way Georgia brought, Jorah brought shame to his house was, uh, by the way, I'm back. Hey. <laughs> no, no one could tell by your voice. <laughs> yeah. Really, really surprising <laughs> stuff there, man. Like a magician. Exactly. I disappear. <laughs> Dark magician attack. <laughs> uh, Jorah, so yeah, everyone knows he was actually born on Bear Island uh, during Robert's rebar- uh, rebellion, rebellion, which is it. what he participated in. And that's where he actually earned his title as a knight. Um, but in Robert's rebellion, he actually, uh, Jorah Mormont. Oh, you're going you're gonna to tell him like what Jorah got communicated for? Good, yeah, you attack with that real quick. Yeah, you got um, this. So Jorah Mormont, his dad, actually joined the Night's Watch there. Well, during this time, so Jorah Mormont actually married Lioness Hightower of Old Town after winning her hand in a tournament. So this was actually a really big tournament. Uh, that happened where he actually, you know, really won her love and won her loyalty and, you know, won the respect of the other kings in this area. Um, but during the, she was very materialistic, I want to say, guys. And almost like if you've had that ex-girlfriend before that expects so much out of you, you know, they want to go on their really fancy dates, you know, they really want the... Uh, you know, fancy gifts and they want the bracelets and that sort of thing. Um, so he always tries to please her. Well, he went into debt so bad, it actually let him into uh, the point where he was selling uh, poachers into slavery at this time. And at this time where he was at in Westeros, uh, slavery was actually against the law. So this is actually how he brought shame on his entire house. Um, so from this point, you know, you had Jorah that fled Westeros. Uh, Jorah Mormont got the sword back after it was handed back to Jorah's aunt at the time. And then from there... You know, uh, they had the experience with the White Walkers, and then uh, Jor Mormont actually handed the sword down to John. Gior. <coughs> so it's Gior. Just, yeah, it's Gior. Gior. Gior and Jor. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's like, so Jorah and Gior. So 
The one thing is that G Jorah never had the sword because remember George said that the one he had the decency not to take the sword when he left and fled to Essos. So Jorah never had the sword. Gior had the sword and he gave it to John, especially after what ended up happening with the first White Walker that attacked him in his quarters. Yeah. And so. his aunt was Mage Mormont is the name. So good stuff. So you have it. So now we go back to uh, Winterfell and Arya tells a story about Ned, her father, watching Arya shoot the arrow. Like she went there after Bran had left his bow on the ground there. And after everyone went to bed, like she like kept shooting and shooting until she hit the target. And when she finally hit the bullseye, she heard her father clapping for her in the in the back there. So, um, what she was and this is a good quote that uh, I wrote down. She said, "What I was doing wasn't wrong. The rules were wrong." Right. So, yeah. And I, it, you know, you kind of get that conflict between her and Sansa again. Yeah, they fight over the note. Point. Arya and Sansa fight over that note that she found. Sansa's afraid that she's going to tell the Northern Houses. So I thought that was pretty important. And I'll make this quick, but I love this quote. She said, I remember you standing on the platform with Joffrey and Cersei when they dragged Father to the block. I remember the pretty dress you were wearing. Yeah. I remember the fancy way you did your hair. And Sansa said, you were there. I was there, standing in the crowd near Baylor's statue and she said and what did you do come running to the rescue like what did you do did you fight off the Lannisters and save father Arya says I wanted to Sansa said but you didn't just like me and it's kind of that back and forth moment and Arya says I didn't betray him I didn't betray Rob I didn't betray our entire family for your beloved Joffrey Sansa you should have been on your knees thanking me we're standing in Winterfell again because of me. You didn't win it back. John didn't win it back. He lost the Battle of the Bastards. The Knights of the Vale won the battle. They rode for me while you were off. We're traveling around the world. I was training. Well, training. Well, while you were training, I suffered things you couldn't even imagine. Arya, oh, I don't know about that. I can't even imagine. Well, I can imagine. I can imagine quite a lot. That's what she says. Yeah, think. and Sansa says, you never would have survived what I survived. Arya, I guess we'll never know. Yeah, big back and forth. So what do you start? Like, you know, we, this continues. This That's big probably conflict. the biggest back and forth. Sorry not yeah. to interrupt you no, it, in the whole season there. And not even just the whole season. Because like, like, remember, guys, back from season one to where we are now, Sansa and Arya, they haven't always gotten along. And they, they've always had like harsh words for each other. And now that they're both older, this is kind of as bad as it's gotten. So that, yeah, no, that, that was really, really important. But um, yeah, so now we're back at Beyond the Wall. And Beric Dondarrion, again, reissues this same point that Melisandre quoted the same point back in season two. Beric tells John, death is the enemy, the first enemy and the last, which raises my point, if it's the first enemy and the last, wouldn't you think you'd want to have them at your own advantage, not able to cross a wall down into King's Landing together, ready to fight them off at the best of your strength in the in the southern areas where they're more subject to the heat and the light than they are in the north. But no one wants to listen to me. Regardless, I just thought that it was funny that uh, he, again, iterates the first enemy and the last, but clearly it wasn't the last enemy because we'll talk about that next season. Either way, 
that annoyed me. Uh, they found the Arrowhead Mountain that the Hound saw in the flames. Uh, now, when we go back to Tyrion and Daenerys at Dragonstone, they're sitting by the fireplace, and that's where the <laughs> quote that you talk about. You said, "You say, you know, you know what I like about you is you're not a hero, right?" Yeah, and I love this kind of conversation here uh, going on. I was actually even thinking of one before with the Hound in Tormund where he was like, Oh, yeah, yeah. You want to... <laughs> so I do want to say this just because how funny it is. Uh, Tormund goes, Gingers are beautiful. <laughs> Kissed by fire. Just like just you. Just like you. And he's really kind of egging... The Hound on. The Hound on yeah. at this point. Gregor Clegane. Sandor Clegane. Sandor Clegane. Yeah. Gregor is a mountain. Uh to kind of you know get his attention, you know, almost like someone that's a child getting the attention yeah, just of their poking, dad, poking grandfather. The buttons, yeah. for and the hound goes, "You really want to suck my dick? Is that it? Ah, <laughs> uh, dick. No, it's well because because like, <laughs> that the reason he said ah dick is because he didn't know what dick meant. It's not a word that they yeah. use beyond the wall in the it, wilding army. And then the hound says cock, <laughs> cock. Yeah, cock. <laughs> Dick. He says, I have a beauty waiting for me back in Winterfell. If I ever get back well, there... Well, before you do that, remember, he's like, Dick, I like it. And the hound says, I yeah. bet you do. <laughs> and it's even another quote. That's a, I hate saying this word. Do you want to say it? I don't want to say it. No, go, go do it. <laughs> no, I hate so saying just, it. So just skip over it. Like, fuck it. No, it's blank for me. <laughs> no, it's yeah, yeah. pussy for me. There it is. Yep, <laughs> yeah. That's what he said. Yeah, that's what he said, quote unquote. But I have a beauty waiting for me, Bucking Winterfell. If I ever get back there, yellow hair, blue eyes, the tallest woman you've ever seen. The hound. You want to be the hound? I don't have it back and forth like you got, but. Can um, you read that right? I can read that. Uh, well, the thing Brian is. a fucking top. Yeah. The, the thing is, like, I think there was more in between between that before he realizes who it is. But uh, he, he, he goes... Brienne of fucking Tarth. Yeah, he's, he's, you know her. <laughs> well, not with her yet, but I see the way she looks at me. How does she look at you? She wants to carve you up and eat your liver? You oh, don't. So you do know her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Big dirty. Absolutely. But going back to that point, Danny tells Tyrion... You know, she loves Tyrion because he's not a hero. Think about it every time. He, Tyrion has advised her and she's gone against it. Something bad is happening. Or when he's listened to her, she's listened to him. Also, something bad has happened. So I don't think they're a good match, by the way. Throwing that out there. By the way, I don't like that word, what I said before. <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're okay. <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to send you the chopping block. I think we're going to be okay. Off to the pit of misery yeah, with you. I think, I think you're still <laughs> yeah. socially alive. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> but... Yeah, man. So, yeah, did you have the only quote that I wrote down is the one that Tyrion says to Danny about the people who are in love with her. Do you have the ones before that? Yeah, I do. Tackle it. Of course, you know I have it. No, you do. I know you do. You need to take your enemy's side if you're going to see things the way they do. And you need to see things the way they do if you're going to anticipate their actions and respond to them effectively and beat them. And then Tyrion mentions a successor, and Danny gets really offended at this point. Um, this ooh, was a little ooh, bit wait, before. Wait, yeah, wait, that's after. Yeah, no, let me talk. Yeah, let me okay. let me say my thing before. 
So when she's talking about the hero, like 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 oh, the only why I like you because you're not a hero. And Tyrion like tries like defends like well like I led the battle here this and that I led the battle of Blackwater Bay beyond the gates. She's like she's like no it's it's a good thing. All these people, uh, she mentioned Cal uh, Drogo, Daria Naharis, Jorah Mormont, Jon Snow. All these people like they they want to be the first one to see who can up the next one in stupidity or whatever it is. And and Tyrion tells her well you know it's funny because all the people you name are in love with you and she replies Jon Snow is not in love with me <laughs> and Tyrion tells her oh I'm sorry you're right the way he looks at you longingly just screams <laughs> <laughs> screaming yeah so yeah I thought that was funny but yes uh, Tyrion does advise on Danny meeting with Cersei and she does lose her temper when they do uh, do discuss the succession yeah. which uh yeah which, what about, then we're about to go into that point of you have that zombie bear, which is a little bit down the road. But No, no, you're right. It's right next. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I have that whole oh, sure you do. scene broken down. So imagine uh, the decaying flesh of this bear just goes straight up to the group. What we, what we do is, like, I tell the quick version, then Chase goes into the detail. There you go. So let me give you the quick, quick version. The, the party behind the wall, they have an altercation with a white walker bear, right? So it, it's literally a, a bear of the the dead army. So they have the altercation with the bear. It, till, it kills two of their party and gravely injures Thoros as well. And I'll let him go into exactly what happens. So when the bear comes up, he first eats some motherfucker whole. Ah! He didn't scream like that, but yeah, his ass gets eat whole. Uh, then he starts mauling... And ripping this other motherfucker apart. It almost looks like on my notes it says raping. <laughs> it says ripping apart. But the bear knocks over John as John starts to attack it with his big ass long claw sword. And then Thoric lights the sword. Thoric? Uh, Thoris. Thoris. Thoros, yeah. Thoros lights the swords of him and Barrack and flames yep. right yes and then barrack smashes down on the bear as it throws him like backwards causing him to kind of be you know kicked back right and then as barrack slashes his sword and gets up again it kind of like starts eating the sword so like as the sword is it's like chomping down on it right uh, the bear like roars, Mufasa time. <laughs> Thoris stands up and blocks the bear with his fire sword as he continuously tries to pursue Thoris uh, as he's already burst in flames because of you know what Beric has done at this point. Um, as the bear is completely on fire, Tormund hits him in the side with an axe, and then you have. It's biting down Thoris again as it's completely almost tearing him in half. So bleeding shots everywhere. Shots and shots for a completely times two. Shots and shots. Shot, 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 shot. Everybody! Do, do we think Chase... Chase has two describing words. One is completely and one is actually. So those are the two of That's Chase's right. describing words. So I, I wonder how drunk it. you guys are going to get. <laughs> very, <laughs> very, very drunk. Jorah hits the bear on the side with a dragon glass knife. Uh, Thor is 
Thoris is basically, you know, completely gashed into from the torso down at this point. And, you know, Beric basically says to him, you know, try to hold it together. And as they cut down the bear, the bear dies. And, you know, Thoris is basically bleeding out. And he tries to melt, you know, the flesh together to hold Thoris together. Um, which leads into the next morning. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the next morning, we go back to Peter Baelish and with Sansa. And she, he tries to counsel Sansa about the letter and the loyalty of the Northern Houses. And so that's just something I want to put in there. But yes, uh, we go back there and Jorah and Thoros are talking about storming the breach drunk with Thoros's flaming sword, <laughs> which is one of the things that I thought you're the bravest man I've ever seen. He's like, nope, just the drunkest. <laughs> I thought that was super funny. But uh, yeah, the party attacks a White Walker straggler. John kills the White Walker, the actual, like, like if you guys were talking about from the um, books, it would be uh, an other, not a white. He kills the White Walker and all the other whites fall around him. So we start seeing this weird, like, if you guys ever watch Vampire Diaries, and when they killed an original vampire, all the vampires that were turned by the original all died with him. So it's kind of like that weird thing. So when he killed that White Walker, all the other ones around him just fell dead too. Do you want to say this? I actually worked on that show for three years, and, Nor- and Nina Dorbroke or whatever her name was. Dobrev, yeah. I-, I was an extra in the originals. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Hey, mm-hmm. yeah, I actually worked Connie, on the originals. Conyers, Georgia. That's where they filmed Dude, it. Dude, yeah. that's yeah. where I worked on it. Yeah, that's where uh, it was. Quick fact, Nina Dorbroke, I didn't know her... Like, I didn't know, like, her actress. Like, that's her name, but I didn't know she was an actress at the time. She actually sat next to me in college for a while. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'd never seen an episode of Vampire Diaries. (laughs) No? It's actually pretty good. I'm a big Twilight fan, actually. Always thought of myself as the pale faces. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. But uh, so when they when they uh, they take that White Walker down and they capture that White, they send Gendry back to send the Raven to Daenerys. Um, yeah. So now, that's what? Jeez, oh, I can barely read my. Own. They catch. Wait, go on. They, they they catch one, but then they that thing like they they get chased. So they catch it. So they they, they catch it, right? but like that's the problem is when they catch it. Keep in mind that like no matter what you do. They don't feel pain or anything. So they try to cover its mouth and actually rip the entire mouth off this way. <laughs> yeah, dude, seriously. It's doing its weird like scream calling screaming. for the army of the dead. That's exactly what it's doing. And so they are now getting chased by the army of the dead. And the army of the dead actually, when they get to that little rock cropping outing where they make their last stand there, before they get there, another one of their party gets the falls down to them before they get too far. Um, and I love but, this quote right here because this is after you find out Thoris is gone. Yeah, when Thoris dies, yeah. And Beric says, Lord of Light, come to us in your darkness. The night is dark and full of terrors. And he lights his sword on fire. Yep, and so well, that's the thing is that before that happens, Gendry makes it back to the wall, but then Thoros dies, either to the wounds or to the cold, we don't know yet. And Beric burns his body, and now there's only six of them left. Um, and now this is where where John tells him, like, like Daenerys is our only hope. And she's like, that's the only way. And Beric tells him, well, there's another way, 
and he points to the Night King. He tells him, he's like, tells John to kill the Night King, and says, uh, why else? Why? Why were we the only ones brought back? We were the only two brought back. We are here for a purpose. So he basically tells John, like, if you kill the Night King, all this goes away. And this is it. Like, this is their last moment. Like, this is the. Don't think in your mind, Beric wanted to just go for the Night King. You're talking about a hundred thousand whites surrounding yes. your ass, and not just whites, white walkers, and the Night King himself. And yeah, generals. <laughs> so and the Night King, which is really interesting, because this is what I'm gonna bring up here, right? When they were running to that little rock outing that allows them to make their last stand, what happened to where they couldn't pass? They saw all like like the um the river or the lake, I'm sorry, broke through the ice and they started falling into the water, meaning they can't swim and they can't survive the water, which is also proven and back in hard home when they just let John and them go through like back on their ships into the water, the whites can't survive or do anything in the water. And that's a big point that I'm going to make up later at the very last episode in the very last one of the very last scenes I was talking to Chase about, I was like, bro, big plot hole. So anyways, we'll, we'll get to there when we get it. But as of right now, they are waiting for like the, the whites are waiting for the the lake to freeze over so they can get to the last of the six that remain who are holding one of the whites. Which then at this point you have a letter. Yes, that is yes, sir. Sansa. Yes, sir. Sansa gets that, that. Yeah, Sansa gets an invitation to King's Landing, and she basically <laughs> said, "I ain't fucking going there. Last <laughs> time I went there, ain't work out for me." So fuck that. Yeah. So fuck guess, guess who's going? Brienne, you going? Tell him my your ass is yep. going. Yep. You, you can say hi to Jamie Lannister all you want, man, <laughs> but I ain't going. So I ain't going up nope. in that bitch. Nope. Yeah, Not that at all. So. She sends Brienne in her stead, who like kind of argues with her about it, telling no, this and she's like, "Listen, bro, like you swore to me, like just fucking go. I'm not having this argument with you. I'm not going to King's Landing. Like literally the conversation's over. Like yeah, <laughs> straight up." And then you see, this is a visually stunning scene. You see Drogon, Viserion, and Rhaegal waking up from a deep sleep, and they're looking at you know Danny and Tyrion tries to stop Danny at well, this point. T- tell tell him why though because Danny received the letter about what happened beyond Danny the wall. Danny received the yes. letter and they were From like Gendry. send a raven send a raven and they took Gendry's hammer the hound took it and said you're the fastest go he gets all the way back he completely almost passes out when he gets before the wall which by the way how the hell did he get to all the way to the wall in 10 minutes fast very fast <laughs> But so Danny receives that letter. Yeah, Danny exactly. receives that letter. And Tyrion says, "You can't. The most important person in the world can't fly off to the most dangerous place in the world." Danny said, "Who else can?" Tyrion, no one. They know the rest when the they risks. left. Yep. You can't win the throne if you're dead. You can't break the wheel if you're dead. Danny says, "So what would you have me do? Nothing. Sometimes nothing." Sometimes nothing is the hardest thing to do. She, what'd she tell him? She said, I listened to, I've done nothing before. You told me to do nothing before. I've listened to you. I'm not doing nothing again. Once again, she goes against Tyrion. Which is awesome because he has a very bad advice because if she didn't, literally everyone would be dead and no one would have proof of a White Walker. But at so, what cost? One dragon. Oh, I'm sorry, sorry. My bad. Spoiler. 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 My bad. My bad. Yeah. Anyways. So, yes, she ignores Tyrion and flies to their aid with all three dragons in the air. Finally, we get to see all three dragons ready to go fuck shit up. 
Exactly. And yep. uh, so you see John in the group. Here's a big detailed breakdown for you. Do you mind if I break this down? Uh, are we, you want to go into it? The only thing I'm going to say first, because I don't know, are you going to go into like the fight itself or what happens before the fight? Uh, I'll let you go into it before the fight. Before the fight. So the hound is throwing rocks at the dead. And he first he throws one and knocks the jaw off one of them. And he's like he's like laughing about it. Then he throws another rock, and it's not a good throw, and it lands in front of them and hits the ice hard. And the reason why that's very important is because now the dead look down and realize that water is frozen over, and they can cross and get to the remaining six survivors of that party. Right. And I remember the hound even going, oh, fuck. Yep. Yep. And so then here's when it starts. So he completely knocks the jaw of Completely. That. Completely take another shot. But that white, remember the jaw is knocked off. And the white starts walking towards the lake. And he's even dragging his sword and it's screeching like nails on the chalkboard. As he continues to walk. And the group stands back for a minute. Kind of in ready stance, and Barrett lights the flames on his sword, and the hounds makes, you know, the first moves kind of towards the first white walker walking towards him. Smashes to the left of Gendry's hammer, and John stabs another white walker. Well, Jorah then stabs the left from the left and the right. What happens is they basically are getting completely overrun. Like, shit's fucked. The six of them are fighting as well as they can against an army of 100,000. Like, 100, six 000. people. It's six people. But my point while, you be, while you're talking about this is, like, because you talk about Barrett killed a couple, right? Yeah. Barrett and Mandorian then, like, stabs one through the well, chest. here's my thing. Go for it. Not only that, then how many does the hound kill? You got the hound killing some? Uh, yeah, I haven't even started Can we yet. talk about why that's a problem? Yeah. How are these people killing people killing people with dead normal ass with normal weapons. weapons? Thank you. Here's That's the catch though is Georgia Jorah is using dragon glass and then the hound oh, though. Wait, what what's how is Jorah using dragon glass? Jorah was using the knives for dragon glass that he used to kill the bear. And then also the hound was just smashing them with the hammer, which is why the first one the hounds knocks with the jaw is actually one that Tormund it drags. Tormund what what, to is, what the does lake. Tormund have to kill these White Walkers? Uh, an axe. <laughs> yeah, Dude, well like, point. That's what I'm saying. Well like, like all of a sudden, like apparently, all these whites can be killed by regular weapons. <laughs> yeah, like Beric, I can see because he had fire on his sword. Jora, I can see because dragon glass. The dragon. Glass I don't. Knife. The thing is, like, I don't remember that. I have to go back and like. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just maybe didn't miss. I maybe I missed it. I don't remember him ever getting a dragon glass weapon. I thought it was just his regular weapons. Go back and watch it because it will, actually is a dragon glass knife. Because I would think he would use a sword. Thing is, like, doesn't. but who made him that dragon glass knife? Well, they mined for it. They mined it, but they didn't right? make it into weapons yet. Gendry didn't, oh yeah, didn't, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, 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 plot hole. <laughs> like, well, then I assume they just gave it they, to him. Yeah, they, they, he's got to have a, like a way to forge it into a weapon, like with like uh, being a blacksmith. Like, there's right. What's he gonna do? Anyways, so the point: the hound Sorry. smashes <laughs> two of the whites. Uh, Tormund smashes two with the axe. So to the right and to the left. We had a big joke about this earlier. I'm always like, to the right and to the left is like one and two. <laughs> no, to the right and to the left. Beric Denorian stabs one through the chest as he's lighting his sword on fire that completely engulfs it in flames. Dead. John and Jorah kill four more, and there's two that John cuts in half. 
so then Jorah is taken down a couple with dragon glass, and then the hound smashes a couple more at that point, and the group completely is engulfed and surrounded by these whites. So you're talking about a hundred thousand whites surrounding this one little body on the top of the lake, right? Like we're talking about one little piece of ice here. In the center between them, a walker, the walker that they captured is on the very top, screeching, you know, it has the bag over its head and they're still trying to protect it. Barrick slices another one's head off with a flaming sword and the hound smashes two more in the head with the same ax that Gendry gave it. So the hammer, right? Tormund is completely overrun at this point. Completely. You have three whites that he's taken down that's hacked with the axe, but six more whites completely basically overtake him. Like, you just can't do You do, do say anything. completely a lot, bro. Yeah, <laughs> you say completely so like, much. They're, they're completely screwed. Jorah stabs a couple more with dragon glass. You know, John slices three more in front of him. And then you have Sir Beric with two more with the sword. But Tormund at this point, basically, it's so many that you can't even count. Like, it's just surrounding that embodiment on the lake. Um, and I could keep going on all day with as many as it caught, which Jorah had another two, and then Sir Beric had another two. Um, John slashed both two other White Walkers on the top. And this is when he kind of did that whole sword thing where he tossed it over his shoulder and then underneath his arm stabbed another one and he's being taken down with Longclaw. And this is when Tormund is tackled to the ground and he's completely being dragged to the middle of the ocean. At this point, I was pretty much like, we might lose Tormund here. Like, we literally might lose him. Tormund throws one off as he's continually jumped on and he shouts, help me, help me. And then Jorah kills two more as it switches over to him because they're completely being overtaken. And two White Walkers pop up from the fucking ocean out of nowhere. One being the one the Hound actually smashed the jaw off as they're dragging Tormund to the middle of the ice to drag him underground. Underwater. As Tormund is screaming for his life, the hound jumps on them, smashes them with the hammer, and pulls Tormund completely up. Bro, you say completely a life. lot. Oh, that's a oh lot of shots, God. boy. I hope you guys like the completely game. Jeez. The completely drinking game. I even wrote, oh shit, Tormund might be dead. <laughs> but so yeah. also, after the hound saves Tormund... Um, the last normal character, the one I say, I say normal, one that's not one of our quote-unquote heroes, he dies. Uh, he he falls into the big pit of the White Walkers and they devour him. But um, that's the only thing I wanted to add yeah. there. And actually, at the Hound at this point, it's gotten so bad he's even taken out the hatchet out of his side and he's just hacking people that small little dragon glass hatchet. Um. But the group starts making their way farther and farther up the mountain because they're getting completely and completely... <laughs> wow, damn, you guys are fucked up. More surrounded to the very top of the mountain there. Like, I'm talking completely engulfed. Imagine a black sea here. So, John kills five more as they're protecting the white that's captured. As John drags the white 
He is attacked again. And he pulls his sword upside, kills another one. As Barrick's other servant, this is when he jumps for help and gets pushed off the cliff and eaten alive. They're eating his face, eating his stomach, completely, I'm talking, uh, peeling the skin back as the blood right, let's, bleeds. Let's, let's, let's wrap up this battle, please. Anyways, but That's completely devoured to pieces. <laughs> As John stands on the top of the mountain, and this is when you have that iconic moment. He's in disbelief. They are going to lose. Everyone's yes. completely fucked. Yes. And then, da da da, Drogon blows a fucking breath of fire across the entire Lake. ice white yes. army, blowing completely rows and rows of whites, taking them out. And Danny reaches down. Trying to get John onto Drogon, and John over here goes, oh, no. I gotta get an achievement if you ever watched Halo. And I counted it guy for guy. Oh. He takes out another six guys just because he decides he wants to go right. and be the let, hero. Let me get some let me get some screen time in here, Chase. Go boy. For it. Thank you. Appreciate you. Uh, so uh yes, what the biggest thing here. Danny arrives at the last second and starts burning the army of the dead, right? So not only she's there with Drogon, she's there with Viserion and and Rhaegal as well. Now, to the to his point, she starts getting some of the what I call quote unquote our heroes onto Drogon's back. She's got everyone except John and she tries to get John to come on, but he in his mind doesn't think they're going to be able to take off in time by the time the the army of the dead drag the dra the dragon down so he he basically goes back to himself and like ignores her and takes out as many as he can which I'll I'll give back to you cuz you've got how many people he's <laughs> taken out so go ahead and and finish up so I got to get an achievement <laughs> he did actually say that bad she's trying to grab him you know he takes out six more guys basically as this point hits john is tackled into the ground and put into the ocean Right, and completely looks like he's drowning at this completely. point. So, another completely take a shot. Danny takes off, and right before she takes off, you see the most amazing Olympic throw oh, I've absolutely. ever seen in my life. Yeah, absolutely. The Night King, the General of the Whites. Hands Not the, the general, the king of the dead. The, king <laughs> the of, fucking well, leader of the fucking dead. I was going to say the general hands the ice spear oh, okay, gotcha, to gotcha, the night gotcha, king. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And then he heaves this amazing uh, great quarterback form. throw. Great. Bro, the funny thing is like you even see him trying to distance it with his, the, the one hand out and like kind of like aiming it. Like It was hilarious. Literally, I'm talking full line drive right into the neck of Viserion who is right behind kind of Drogon and Rhaegal as he's flying just taking out a whole row of whites and what, ah! I, what I found really crazy though is you kind of saw like the fire that was going to come out of Rhaegal's mouth was built up and it kind of just came out of the side of his like neck and into his chest like it couldn't even come out of his mouth because he got he got hit by it was visually stunning yeah, was, like you had the amazing. fire and the blood completely so, pour down another completely that's what, shot. and then my exact uh, my exact <laughs> words were the night king throws the javelin ice spear of a lifetime <laughs> and kills Viserion. literally so to kind of just <laughs> go through this a little bit before we get crazy here 
Uh, John tries to get back on Drogon, gets tackled into the water. The long claw is left on the ice. Now, I know we talk about this a little bit. Danny is forced to leave John behind. And also, one before, I want to talk about this too. The Hound catches Jorah from falling off Drogon. That's a big point people forget, is that Jorah almost had it all end right there. He, he, he crossed all this thing, got his whole Valyrian shit, like the, the, the grayscale healed, and he almost fell off Drogon and died, and the Hound caught him and grabbed him and pulled him back on. But and then, as the dragon's falling down, dude, it's brutal. You know, he falls down on his complete right side, another complete, hits the snow and the ice It doesn't even make breaks. sense. Like, God, like, why is that the word you go to? I'm very confused. <laughs> but breaks the ice with both his wings as he's dragging like a plane all the way on the very end, literally goes like a hundred yards breaking the ice, and you see the blood spill a hundred yards, dragging all the way until... You know, you see that beautiful dragon close his eyes and, and the blood the on his mouth. And sink into the lake. And it's over. Now, John <laughs> emerges from the lake, and this is a part we talked about. We actually put it on the screen earlier. Guys, long claw, what I want everyone to see, it's a pommel. It's a pommel, and the eyes are crystals. They are crystals, okay? And so... When they drilled the hole through both sides, one crystal's fit in one side, one crystal's fit in the other side. So the moment John puts his black glove up on the ice, it shows through one side of the crystal, and, and because of that, it's one hole through. It shows on the other side, so it looks like the pommel opened its eyes itself. So I just wanted everyone to know that we took a look into that and we shoot, we saw exactly what it is. Even if his hand isn't actually there, it shows the reflection of his glove. Yeah, that's, so, the, that's the thing. It's I a black glove. So, so it looks like almost like the, the wolf itself opened up with a slit of its eye. It's because John put his hand right down, like the hand was in the glove, and he put it right down on the ice as he tried to pull himself out. And that's what caused it to look like the eye opened. So, Don't forget, anyways. Viserion is seeping fire before he drags into the bottom of the ocean. Right. So Viserion's dead. <laughs> that's sad, boohoo, Viserion's dead. But, you know, <laughs> this is really the point that breaks Danny. Yeah. So, well, you know what? No one breaks Danny yet because she's not even in this next scene. Uncle Ben, <laughs> Uncle Benjen arrives and saves the day. He goes down in a blaze of glory. But what I thought was really cool is it's another one of those things coming full circle. What's the last time John saw Benjen was in season one when he left to go beyond the wall. And where did he find him? At the last stand, beyond the wall. Before he saved him on Benjen's own horse, had him ride they off. pull this out of their ass, I liked man. It. I liked like, it. he just shows up. I liked it because at the end of the day, like if you hear these screechings, like everyone heard these screechings, those things sounded like they went for miles. And if Benjamin heard it, he is obviously going to go towards like what's going on here. So I don't know. Long story short about Benjamin is that uh, right uh, is that um, he obviously he heard this whole commotion. He sees the army that, that he might have been scouting and just seeing, and he probably saw. You know, the whole thing, and he tried to figure out the best time to, to get involved with Fendi because he wants to do the best he can. And he's got these flaming chain balls that he's had since he saved Mira and Bran the first time. And he comes in and saves the day for John. And he gives John his horse. The horse rides off, and then Benjamin kills as many as he can before he gets overwhelmed. Yeah. Like, that's exact. That's straight what happened, right? So, anyways, Dan Daenerys, like, they're, we're back at uh, Eastwatch. And Daenerys is about to leave, and Jory even tells her, you know, it's time to go. Like, we gotta get out of here. And just as they're ready to turn around, they hear a horn blow. 
and Jon Snow is slumped over Benjen's horse and appears. And he ends up going into the thing. So Daenerys, they bring him on the ship and unclothe him to save him from hypothermia. And then at this point in time, Daenerys sees Jon's scars and she now knows it wasn't a figure of speech when Ser Davos said he took a knife in the heart for his people. He, she sees all the stab wounds on his torso. Um, in a big moment, you know, huge John. Moment. Well, not well, almost in a second when he wakes up. Mm-hmm. But when we go back to Sansa, Sansa raids Arya's room, and she finds the faces. But Arya is already there and catches her in her own room and explains what the faces are and taunts Sansa and tells her all I need to be this, the Lady of Winterfell is your face and has a dagger in her hand face. then she flips it to the pommel and hands it to Sansa yo it was badass she's like I know what I could do I ain't gonna do it though it was fucking awesome badass so, which is weird because I have in my, my little block parentheses here the faces at this point this was the last time in the series they ever came up Yep. We've never saw the faces again after that. Why the fuck not? Was it like well, that's really stupid? But anyways, we'll talk more about that in the <laughs> summary. So yes, now John wakes up, and he basically he tells Danny that he'll be, well. She promises that she'll fight for the North, and that's when John promises in return that he's gonna bend the knee. Like yep. he he'll bend the knee, and then what I'm really upset about, and I talked to you about this when I got here today, fucking pissed. Army of the Damn, Ar- Army of the Dead grabs chains and pulls dead Viserion out of the water. First of all, that's a plot. That- Where the fuck did they get the chains? That's one thing. Where did they get the chains? Number one. Number two. It's a plot hole, right? Because Viserion was at the bottom of the lake. The Army of the Dead can't swim. Or else that last stand itself doesn't make sense because they could have just damn well crossed the damn river. They could swim, right? And got right to them before waiting it out. Look or, up the meme. Or, <laughs> or swimming across when they got to Hardhome and they left Hardhome, they could have swam there too. So if the Army of the Dead can't swim, how the fuck did they get the chains on Viserion to pull his ass out of the damn lake? I'm mad. Someone's got to answer my questions, right? They wouldn't have needed to wait till the ice froze. So how did they swim down and put the chains on Viserion's neck to pull his ass out? Someone tell me. Then, I'm waiting. I'll wait. I mean, look up the meme. It's called Finding Viserion. I'm <laughs> so literally bro, the night straight up. Like underwater. I don't listen to anything. I don't watch no reviews. I just all my own thoughts and my own like like everything that I've seen on my own. These things can't swim. How the heck did they get down there to put that chain on? Not only put the chain on, wrap it around three times over to get him out of there. And to Chase's Literally point, where the, the hell did they get the chain? Pulled a fucking Finding Nemo. Yeah, I'm pissed. <laughs> all so, the way to the very real frustrated bottom. there. So anyways, the, the the episode closes out with the Night King placing his hand on dead Viserion. Viserion opens up blue eyes, and we now have the Ice Dragon. I gotta admit, though, that's a pretty badass moment. Yes, though. that's cool, and I get that. That's that'd cool. be awesome. But that's it'd be better cool. if, like, we could have this Viserion die on the ice, and, like, he puts his hand on him there. Like, the fact that they pulled him out of the damn lake, that shit don't make no sense. I gotta give them credit, though. It's a pretty creative moment to it's think bullshit. of, though. It don't make it's no. Creative, it's a, though. It's a lie. It's a, it's a lie. <laughs> anyway, no, the ice dragon's cool. The problem I have with it is how they got the ice dragon out the damn lake. So yeah. that's my thing. So let's kind of go into episode eight. Uh, seven. Uh, episode seven. Sorry, episode <laughs> there seven. is not episode eight in here. That's rock and roll <laughs> with episode seven. seven. So it starts off with the Unsullied army and the Dothraki army lining up outside of King's Line Landing in a show of force. My question here, another plot hole. 
How the fuck did the Unsullied get there from Castle Rock? They made it such a big portion in a notion saying that now that they're stuck at Castle Rock, they've got no ships to take them back. They've got to cross and march the country on foot. All of a sudden, they're just there waiting at King's Landing. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Exactly. Like, not, not the audience, like the writers. Like, what do you think? We're fucking stupid? They this is the shit that the, pisses me off. The Goku transport. Like, like this is the shit that makes me so mad. Like Instant they they made it such an important thing to say that oh they did a great thing by trapping that Castle Rock. We burned Euron Greyjoy. Burned the unsullied ships. We took down all the harvest. They can't stay at Castle Rock. They're gonna have to march it on foot. But all of a sudden we get to the episode. We get to episode seven and they're just there. They're just fucking there. Yeah. I'm not happy about it. Here's a big point too. So where all this meeting happens is actually in. Uh, we haven't gotten into the meeting yet. We're talking about like the, the show of force that she's just is just portraying right now. Right. Now the meeting, I want to talk about who's all there before Perfect. we talk about the dragon pits of where they meet, right? And I'll talk about the dragon pits. All right. So it's Podrick, Brienne, the Hound, Tyrion, Missande, Davos, Bronn, Jon Snow, Varys, Jorah, and Theon. They all arrive at the dragon pit to parlay with Cersei, Kyburn, Jamie, Euron, and the mountain. So go ahead and talk about the meeting place. Well, what I was going to say is, so this is actually a very significant place being the dragon pit. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, there's a reason it's actually in ruins. And the reason why is because we talked about a little bit in the earlier episodes. Uh, in Dance with Dragons, basically what happened was you had this guy called the Shepherd. This was ac- after... You know, you had Ares and Magor, which, you know, remember Ares cut up Riala and burned her alive right in the right in the tower there. Um, well, you had this guy, Shepard, who started a whole riot inside that area. And you had a dragon called Dreamfire. As they were trying to slaughter the dragons, they were chained up from that inside area there, which is what looks like a Colosseum. Coliseum, which is the last episode where they're all meeting at trying to kill them and, and kill them and slaughter them alive Dreamfire flies to the top and the entire tower falls down as you know she's breathing fire and the entire building starts to collapse and kills five dragons and even more men and you know there were a few dragons left but it killed most of the dragons uh, during Dance with Dragons. So that's a very significant place, which is why the part in the scene, Danny holds up a part of that skull. And that was actually a little dragon skull. The size of a dog. The size of a cat. Dog I think, cat. A dog. I think like, when I saw it, it looked like the size of a dog. But regardless, anyways, Danny, she's not with them yet. She decides she's going to arrive fashionably late, like the cool kids to the party. You don't get there right on time. You go there when you get there. Apologies. <laughs> exactly. So. She arrives fashionably late. It's all cool. But what I like the best here, the hound approaches the mountain and basically tells him that he's going to be the one that kills him. It's like, it doesn't matter. You know who's coming for you. <laughs> that was the badass shit, man. That leads up to the Clegane Bowl. I love the Clegane Bowl. One of the only sports of season eight that I appreciated was that, and we'll get into it then. I'm not going to be... Cereal Pharrell? <laughs> Bring a big-ass sword. So... Anyways, Danny finally arrives on the back of Drogon in the dragon pit. And John, he tells Cersei about the army of the dead, and she doesn't believe him. She thinks that it's gonna it's a ploy to get her to like to stand her armies down while they in the north 
bring more numbers to them. That is what she thinks is going on. And so the hound brings out this big ass box on his own. Shout hound because he has it on his shoulder. And he fucking brings this thing out and he's got to like lay the shit down. So shout out hound. The white jumps out at them. There is no denying now. They see the blue eyes. They see the dead running at them. And they start doing other things to it. They cut it in half. And then the top part is still running at them on the chain. They cut the hand off. The hand is still moving. They are doing all these things to show them, listen, this is not a joke. You guys can see for yourselves the dead are going to keep coming. And so what the quote is, it says, we can destroy them by burning them, and we can destroy them with dragon glass, is what John says. Also, I don't know why he doesn't say Valyrian steel. He just leaves that out. He just leaves He just fucking out. leaves Wait, that well. shit out. Not happy about it, regardless. And so, <laughs> Euron asks John, can they swim? And John says, no. Which brings us back to the plot hole with the ice dragon. Because he literally says, can they swim? And John says, no. But apparently they can swim down to the bottom and get the ice dragon out of the chain. Anyways, moving on. Uh, he decides he he decides he's gonna leave, and this is a, this is actually a smoke and mirrors trick by Cersei, which we'll find out later. But Euron Greyjoy says we're gonna leave. Like 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 no, I'm gonna get on my ships and we're just gonna like sail in the middle of the fucking ocean and wait for that shit to. <laughs> they ain't gonna bother us. We're gonna do our own thing. So Cersei she decides to accept the truce until the dead are defeated, and Cersei asks John not to choose sides until it's over. But John is too honest, and he tells Cersei that he already pledged himself to Danny. And at that point, Cersei basically tells him, "Well, good luck dealing with the dead, bitch, because I ain't gonna help you out." And so I'm grateful for your loyalty, but my dragon died. <laughs> yeah. I so that. well, yeah, I do. And Tyrion asks John if he's ever learned to lie just a bit, and this is one of my favorite Jon Snow quotes. I'm not gonna swear an oath I can't uphold. Talk about my father if you want. Tell me that's the attitude that got him killed. But when enough people make false promises, words stop meaning anything. There are no more answers, only better and better lies, and lies won't help us in this fight. Yep. Fucking badass. Badass. Absolutely. But then I gotta say, Tyrion says one of the most badass quotes in the world. The more important reason is that we're fucked. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. So at that, and right after that, Tyrion tells him he's going to go to Cersei alone and speak with her. And everyone's hesitant because they think that she's just going to kill him. Because think about it. In their minds, because they don't know Jamie told Cersei that it was Olenna that killed Joffrey. In their minds, Cersei killed Tywin and he killed Joffrey. Like, like if you go in there by yourself, you think you're coming out alive? Bitch, you better believe not. <laughs> you better absolutely believe not. So anyways, he goes in there. Tyrion and Cersei go back and forth about ruining the Lannister family, and things get a little bit emotional, and Tyrion eggs her on and tells him, okay, fine, bet, you think I did all this shit? Then kill me now! Fucking kill me! And she doesn't, which tells me that she has some sort of emotional connection to him after all these things that have gone on, but regardless, that's not the important part. The important part is Tyrion realizes Cersei's pregnant. Yep. She realizes Cersei's pregnant. Now... We take it back while that's going on there. We go back out to the dragon pit. And this is a quote that I need to mention specifically. Daenerys tells Jon, 
I can't have children. John replies, who told you that? Daenerys says, the witch who murdered my husband. And John replies, well, has it occurred to you that she might not have been a reliable source of information? That's a good point. And we see nothing. Dude, like, like that's a great point. Like, great hey, point. maybe, maybe she was lying so that way you wouldn't try to have kids again and, and fuck the whole world up exactly. like like who knows like like that's what i'm saying like like this never does it, i don't think this ever gets brought up again yeah no, like straight does. up this is a great point that john makes but regardless imagine how amazing that would have been if they had a baby and then it was the song of ice and fire that'd be awesome but anyways now we go back to Tyrion. he returns to danny and Cersei and the retinue follow, and Cersei tells Danny that she will march her armies alongside Daenerys' in the Great War. And what she says, and this is a perfect ploy, she's such a snake, and I love this, because this is something I would do if I'm trying to trick my enemies. Her quote is, Perhaps you will remember that I chose to help, with no promises or assurances from you. What a great way to get their enemies' guard down and make it seem like there's something in it for you. It's super tactical. Love it. Regardless, anyways, we go back to Winterfell. Peter Baelish gets under Sansa's skin, and it appears that she turns her against Arya. And what I was telling you earlier, I think this is the moment that Sansa realizes that Baelish yep. is the problem. That he helps guide her to the conclusion. Because guys, remember, he he talks about like I I assume the worst. Like what could like what could someone gain from doing all these things? And basically, he tries to lead Sansa to the conclusion that if Arya kills her, that leaves Arya as the Lady of Winterfell. And when it looks like when she comes to that conclusion, when he when he asks her, and if she murders you, what does she become? And she has that shocking realization look in her face, and she says, "The Lady of Winterfell." I don't think that's a shocking realization. I think the shocking realization for her is that she now knows Peter is trying to turn them against each other because if there's one thing you know about Arya throughout the entire series, she never wanted to be a lady. She wanted to be a knight her entire life or a warrior. She never wanted to be a lady. So my thought process is this is the exact moment where she starts plotting against Peter because she's like, you try to get me to turn against my sister. When I know my sister better than anyone, she never wanted to be a lady her entire life. Yep. Completely agree. So, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, and remember what I was saying. Gray, greenish eyes. Mm -hmm. That was described in the book. Yep. This is a big Which character. is weird, because in the, in the show, I tried to look, and I couldn't really tell eye color yet. And I'm to like I hope I'm going to go back and look at it a little bit more. And remember but, the order. Brown eyes, green nice eyes, and blue, blue eyes. eyes. Yep. So, anyways, this takes us back to Danny. And she decides to sail together with John to give the Northerners the image that they are indeed allies, right? And right before they leave, Theon wants a personal audience with Jon Snow. She, he tells Jon, you've always known it was right, even when we were all young and stupid, building Jon up. And so Jon basically tells him, like, I know, like, I haven't. Like, it may seem like that from the outside, but that's definitely not the case. But to your point, remember when I was telling you, I think Theon finally turns the page in the corner. I think this is the moment where he does it. Makes sense. Because John tells him, "What I can, like, I can't forgive you for all you've done against my family, but what for for what I can forgive, I do." And I think it looks like it has an impact because it, the new Theon, after that moment and that interaction, he's ready to go save Yara. His bitch ass jumped into the river and let her just go, 
And now he tells John that he wants to go save her. And what's John say? What are you doing here talking to me? Yep. So I think we got to turn page in where Theon is. I think this is the moment we get the full Theon non-Reek back. Reek! <laughs> yeah, he's so, back. 100%. So Guess the, who's back? Yeah. Back again. So Theon, he challenges the head of that last ship. And Theon gets his ass kicked, but he keeps on fighting. And he wins their respect by beating the guy to death after that failed crotch shots. Yeah. Like, the guy was whooping Theon's ass, knocking his ass down, bloody, beating him to a pulp. And then Theon kept getting up, and the guy kept saying, you know, stay down or I'll kill you. Stay down or I'll kill you. And Theon kept coming back and back, and the guy tried, I'll to, kill ya. tried to knee him in I'll kill ya. Tried to knee him in the balls three separate times. And Theon looks up and smiles at him, because guess what? He ain't got no dick and no balls. And then that's when we get our boy coming back and swinging for the fences and he he ends up beating him right so anyways uh, at this point in time this comes to the part where we were talking about Sansa summons Arya to the great hall and puts on a trial and accusates this is her exact words the, look what I just said I didn't say anything except this <laughs> yep I said you stand I said that Sansa summons Arya to the great hall and puts on a trial and accusates I didn't say against you. She says, you stand accused of murder. You stand accused of treason. How do you answer these charges, Lord Baelish? Yo, why I think this is super, super huge is genius. Because if she tried to accuse him from the jump, he could have fled or come up with a plan. She caught him entirely off guard because he came to witness Arya's demise. He could have, like, like I said, if she was like, like, if she led on to the fact that she was against Peter, he could have done. He was. We all agreed that he was the most intelligent man right. in Westeros. He could have come up with something and got his ass out of there. But because she didn't say a word, and I think what I said earlier was right. That's when she realized that Peter's against them. When she, when he tried to get uh, her to realize Arya wanted to become Lady of Winterfell, when everyone knows Arya does not want to be a lady. She put up this plan, and it's genius because now he's in front of all the Northern houses. And Arya herself, and now he's on trial. My lady, I'm a bit confused. <laughs> what confuses you? Which charges confuse you? That's so Which badass. Charges confuse you. Yeah, like the, she talks about, and then like this is the part. Like, did they talk to Bran? Did Bran tell him some stuff about them betraying Ned Stark? Because like they weren't That's there. That's what sold him like, out, dude. That's what sold be. him like, out. Bran must have said some stuff. Like like of all the things that Peter done, because he can see the past. So it's like like I wonder if I wonder if Sansa once she had that in her mind went to Bran, and then Bran told her things in the past that Peter did. Because she told him about um, putting the knife up to neck. Bran said it in the room. He said, you you put up the knife to uh, our father's neck and said, I warned, I did warn you not to trust me. Like, literally, I wonder if he had mentioned this before this entire trial went on. So, and regardless, it was badass. They trapped the trapper like without any escape, and it was the my it was one of my most favorite moments throughout the entire series. And so, there goes down the green eyes with the well, cat's paw. Before dagger. that, this is what Sansa says: "Thank you for all your lessons. I will never forget them." And Arya cuts oh, his gosh. neck. Boom! And, and he so was ends. begging like a bitch. She yeah. was like, "Lady Sansa, lady, please, please, <sighs> please yeah. I beg you." Yep, absolutely was. And so, so ends. Lord Peter Baelish, and like like Chase said, this could have been the second part of the prophecy where she closed green eyes because in the book he is described described to have gray green eyes, 
where in the show I haven't quite I tried to look and I couldn't quite see it almost like he had blue eyes in the show but um, I'm we're gonna do a little bit more more looking and uh, take a look but if he had full green eyes then that it's very very possible and but. I have that quote it refers to Baelish she says you said I did warn you not to trust me and you held a knife to his throat yep and that sold Baelish out yeah and so now Baelish is dead Arya cut his throat like nothing like like it was that's the thing like Arya was kind of really badass about it she just did like it was she was I walking deny it day. I deny I it. it. And he just came up and boom. Well, remember, too, he he, he told Yoan Rice, he's like, I demand you to, re- to return me safely to the Eerie. And Yoan Rice said, I think not. And that is <laughs> the like, I think not. And so ends the epic tale of Peter Baelish, who is the smartest man in Westeros, got outsmarted by his own people. So Blood out of his throat crawls, dying on the floor. Symmetry, full circle, died the same way as Catelyn Stark, yep. who he there loved. So, anyways, Cersei reveals to Jamie that she was lying about assisting the North in the Great War. And Cersei tells Jamie that she bought 20,000 of the Gold Army with elephants and conspired with Euron to do so. So, when Euron said he was leaving and going on the ships, it was a plot and a ploy, and she didn't even tell Jamie about it. She says she straight up made a plan with Euron Greyjoy without Jamie's consent or knowledge and sent them over to Bravo to, to bring the, the Gold Company back with them and so and i just want to say yeah, something nail quick. It. go ahead um do want to let you know so uh we're not going to go into the history of the gold company but on this special three hour 30 minute episode here so the cell sword they never break contracts they're mainly broken up of exiles and they're uh basically established as a free brotherhood and they were made up started by Aegon the fourth of targaryen during the black fire rebellion but the point is once they receive money, they never try to break a contract, which is why Cersei wanted them. Yeah, straight up. And so at this point in time, Jamie like realizes, oh fuck, like you know what? Cersei's batshit crazy. Right. And she's so, like, no, like 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 no, like I'm going. Like you, we made a promise. I'm insane. gonna honor that promise. And she he goes to leave and Sir Gregor blocks his way. And she and he turns back to her, You're gonna have him kill me. You know what? I don't believe it. And he walks because she said, "I told you, no one walks away from me." And guess what? I almost want to say, "I choose violence." <laughs> yeah, right. I told you, no one walks away from me. And guess what? Jamie walked his ass right on out and started riding north. And as he put his um, his horse together, his glove turned out, and what appeared on his glove? Snow. It started snowing in the south in King's Landing. We got the first. We got the first glimpse of winter coming to coming to King's Landing. Yep. And so, only a couple more points, and that will close us out of season seven. Sam Tarly goes to see Bran, and Bran tells him about being the Three-Eyed Raven. And Bran tells Sam the truth about John's lineage, and this is the quote: "John isn't my father's son. He is the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and my aunt Lyanna Stark. He was born in a tower in Dorne." His last name isn't really Snow, it's Sand. Because at this point, he was born out of wedlock. Well, before we go right into what Dorne, happens now. He was born out of wedlock in Dorne. And bastards born in, so- in, in, in Dorne are Sand. Just like Obara Sand, Nymeria Sand, Tyan Sand. They were born out of wedlock because Alaria and Oberyn were never married. Like You know what I mean? So He was never a bastard. Well, well, he thinks he is here for a second. He's like, we need to tell John he's not a Snow, he's a Sand. 
and Sam tells him that he's not. He tells Bran that he transcribed a high septon's diary, which honestly, which is a lie. It was Gilly who told him about it, so he's trying to make himself look better. Regardless, he annulled Rhaegar and Elia's marriage, and he wed Rhaegar and Lyanna in a secret ceremony. So Bran goes into the vision and sees the secret ceremony wedding. And Bran comes back out after he realizes that it's a true marriage, and he says, Robert's rebellion was built on a lie. Rhaegar didn't kidnap or rape her. He loved her. Because he married her in secret. So not, he married her in secret. So guess what? Elia is no longer part of Rhaegar's life. Rhaegar married Lyanna Stark in secret. Now that they're married, not only is Jon Snow not a bastard, he is the son of Rhaegar Targaryen, making him the prince of him until he died. Now he is the rightful king of Westeros, of the Seven Kingdoms. John's name isn't even John. So, which think about this: the literally all Robert's rebellion, the Baratheons wanted to do was take over the Targaryen house, which is why they based it on that. No, it's not true. They didn't know that Lyanna and Rhaegar were in secret in a wedding. Robert really truly believed that um, Rhaegar kidnapped and stole. Because it was based on a yes, lie. Yes, it was based okay, on a got lie. It, got it. So it, everything happened because Robert thought it did. He did just everything because yes, of the lie. Because okay. of the lie. Now so, think of that real quick, just so everyone gets the whole uh, tree here, family tree. So Lyanna married Rhaegar. Rhaegar was Danny's brother. Yep. They had John, which makes Danny John's, John's aunt. aunt. Exactly right. But she didn't give a shit because the Targaryens were. And it's pure funny because as this is going on, and I have it written down right here, Danny and John are getting busy in the biblical sense. Getting their fuck on. While this is all going on, in now now club. at this point, Bran goes back to the Tower of Joy where Lyanna gave John to Ned, and we find out his true name is Aegon Targaryen. Badass. Named after Aegon then, the Conqueror. And then what's this amazing quote from Bran? The best quote that Bran ever uttered. He's never been a bastard. He's the heir to the Iron Throne. Damn. And I think that wraps us up. Almost. Talk about the the quote now that they killed Peter Baelish with Sansa and Arya. Because you wrote the whole thing down. All I wrote was the last part. I did. If I can find it in here. No worries. So if he's looking for that, can't find it, no problem. But we go back to the the, um, ramparts of Winterfell. They go into like a little bit of monologue and like it, it's cool. I got it. Okay, go ahead, take it in. Uh, so this is still on. Well, I, I can, this goes I can, along to the trial. You want to take it? I'll let yeah, you it's fine. It. So regardless, there's a little bit of monologue before what I thought was important is uttered. They say, Arya tells her, "The lone wolf dies, but, but the, the pack, pack survives." survives. There was a whole little thing before that, not that important, but that was the really key part of it. The lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. And guess what? Bran, Sansa, Arya, and Jon—they're the pack, and they're still strong, and they survived this entire this entire ordeal. And so, this almost closes us out, except for the fact that we now see the army of the dead arrive at the wall at Eastwatch. And guess what? The Night King is riding the Ice Dragon. And they blow the wall to smithereens with the ice dragon, with ice fire. Gave it a different sound, too. Ah! Right. They blow it. 
they blow that wall to shit. They almost kill Tormund. They kill a bunch of people. The wall comes crumbling down. And at long last, the wall has fallen. And the magic holding the dead back is no more. The dead are officially marching on Westeros. Yeah, and uh, this wrapped us up for season seven, man. And um, yeah, just so. wanted to give a shout out. Uh, wanted to give a shout out to my brother Blake and Reagan. I know I was ragging on you a little bit earlier, but they're big Game of Thrones fans, actually. All you guys that follow us on Instagram, it really means a lot. Uh, YouTube as well. Uh, you know, we got ridiculouspatronus dot uh, You can visit. But yeah, I mean, we see all your reviews, and it means a lot to us. By the way, yeah. So I know this one took a little bit longer than this was normally. our three-hour, thirty-minute special. This, man. this is what, this, but this one is the one that really sets us up for the end. And we got a lot of very big quotables that we gave you. We gave you some three big, huge battles, and that's what kind of phases us into next week, where we're going to go into the end of Game of Thrones. And so, what we're going to do now, what we do every single time, is we're going to just say, guys. Thank you so much for joining us uh, today, just like you do every Sunday. Uh, we enjoy the time that we spend, all the notes that we take. We do it because we love this. This has nothing to do with anything but the fact that we are doing what we love to do. And if you guys want, if you, have, if you haven't already, and if you got friends who you think would like stuff like this, please click, click subscribe. Go ahead and subscribe to us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we, our YouTube page is growing. We've got uh, we've got big pages not only on social media for Facebook but also Instagram. We are on Twitter now. Uh, we've got TikTok. We're going to start putting some stuff out there. We're going to be on LinkedIn very, very soon. But Leave uh, us a comment. Yeah. We see it. No, yeah. absolutely. We we, it. We've brought Leave up a, a, lot of good, a lot of good points and a lot of good um, – debates and we would love to see other people's opinions and for you guys to go back and forth with us but at the end of the day this was our season seven conclusion again his name's chase my name's josh three hour 31 minute episode for you guys with the ridiculous crew factor fantasy signing Signing off. off